Blog Talk Radio. It's that time. We have the people. This is Eric from Moana. This is Priscilla Lima. This is Casey Patterson. The story in real time. We're a much better team now than we were then. I'm not looking at just this year. I'm looking at the next four years. You're listening to The Net Live with Barney. You didn't win, so you must not have done a good job. And DJ Ruscha. I have great thighs. It's The Net Live right now. <laughs> Welcome to the Net Live, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being here. We'll get the chat board open here in just a second, people. Don't freak out. Don't lose control. Kevin Barnett here in studio. We were supposed to have DJ Jeremy Roche. However, he has... We don't know if he has the green apple splatters, but he definitely has a little bit of a stomach issue. He has barfed already twice this morning, so maybe you could tweet at DJ Roche and let him know that you're thinking about him, you're concerned about his health. So, fortunately for you, the listener, this is not a Barnett-only show. It happens, Jeremy's illness happens to coincide with the arrival, the timely arrival of one Jay Hasek in studio. Coincidence that Jeremy is not here? I think not. Jeremy, I hope you feel better if you're listening, my friend. Uh, Bummer that you're not feeling too well. And really, the green apple splatters? That's how we start the show this week. (laughs) Green apple splatters. Well, he wasn't in Mexico, so he didn't get the Zuma's revenge. So uh, (laughs) the green apple splatters it is. Maybe he got the Redondo revenge. I don't know if that's a condition, (laughs) but perhaps Jeremy Roche is suffering. So we wish Jeremy the best. We hope that he recovers soon. Get well, buddy. In the meantime, we have a nice show planned for you. We have Albert Hanneman, as promised. A.B., he will be coming on, Albie. Albie, AB sorry. would be... Would That's be right, Aaron Brock. Aaron sorry. Brock, right. Sorry. Yeah, owner of the NVL, Albert Hanneman. He will join us to talk about the NVL and what they are doing this year, their overall business direction, as well as uh, one of the, the many acronym warfare units we have going here. Wow, acronym warfare units. Yeah, AVP versus NVL. Okay. There's been a lot of... Uh, people complaining and people saying they can't play and ban and I already bought tickets and yeah. we will talk to Albie about that. I'm, I am interested as a uh, as a fan of beach volleyball to hear what the scoop is because I too have been hearing the rumblings about what is going on with the AVP NBL rivalry and who is right, who is wrong, what's to happen next. So interesting uh, topic coming up for sure. I don't think this ought to be a rivalry. I don't understand why it is a rivalry. Because I don't think, and we're going to talk to him about this, I don't think the NVL is going to be a professional organization. Meaning, not how it's run, but it is not going to be the professional level of volleyball. Well, I, think, I think their juniors' direction, that when they kind of made a pivot a year and a half, two years ago, that made sense to me from a business standpoint. I, I, would, I would say to you that the NVL... Uh, probably has aspirations of being the AVP. Maybe the AVP's name has been tarnished over the years so much that maybe sponsors are kind of staying away from it. And Albie is looking at this as an opportunity, and he's branching out and doing new things. I think the challenge that I see in, in, in the question mark that everybody is on everybody's mind is, why are we bickering and fighting and holding players back from playing on either side 
Uh, when, when in actuality, there's, what, seven stops on the AVP tour? So if you expect your people to only play in your tour, how much money can you really make if you're only playing on seven stops? That's the challenge I face. And then why, why is the NVL and the AVP not partnering together and maybe both rising, you know, the, the tides yeah. rise and every, all the boats rise? That's what I would think. That That's would be a, a nice great idea. Way it C- is nice. CEO of Rocks. Danielle, is that, we talked about her last week on this show. Rocks, the sponsor of our PVL team that took third place, by the way, at the uh, Dole Open Nationals. We will talk about PVL for sure while you are here. Let me put yes. that on the list. Put it on the list. Premier Volleyball League. Um, Rocks yes. was kind of making that same argument, and I've heard that argument, which is nice. Which is nice. Is Everybody it utopian? Wants to work together. Is it utopian or is it it's, reality? No, see, business is warfare, and I'm, I don't mind the warfare. I, I think that's okay. I think you end up with a better, stronger organization out of warfare but but i know but i think you're a better organization <laughs> i no but well it, listen you're both scrambling for the same apple and right if Rats there's only teeth. if there's oh, exactly if there's only one apple and there's 28 people that want a piece of it then yeah i think i think at that point you're, you're muddying the waters, and, and there's not enough to go around. But there's two people really vying for that spot. I don't see any other tour on, uh, you know, on the U.S. map, so to speak, that is vying for any of that big stuff. The CBVA is not trying to be the national tour. The EVP is not trying to be the national tour. They're regional, and it's in their name. So why are we not looking at the opportunity for the AVP and the NBL to say, look, Let's create a tour that both of us can thrive and both of us can make something happen for these athletes and the fans. The fans are the ones really losing out because if you're saying to either side, your players are not allowed to play on my tour, what if there are fans that are fans of the players coming to play that tournament? Now all of a sudden they can't come out. Those are butts that are not going to be in the stands. I, I don't care if I'm one side or the other. I don't care. I'm trying to build my brand and trying to let the other guy not build the brand because there's only so much space. There's only so many sponsor dollars to go around. And this is not a case. Look at the NFL. As big as the NFL is, you think they wanted the XFL to be successful? Did they want the USFL to stick around? For what a about while the Arena League? What about the Arena League? But that's my point about NVL. You can be something different. Okay. Arena's different. Okay. It's not the same. No. And so I think you could be something different and coexist. We will talk to Albie about some of these issues and his overall direction. Yes, I am interested in that one. World League weekend number. Four. Four, that's right. Weekend number four, complete in the books. I'm back from Chicago just yesterday. We'll have some audio from folks there. Russ Rose. Did you bring me back any Portillo's? I do not have a jumbo chili cheese dog with onions anywhere here. I'm sorry. I I was looking forward to that for lunch today. We'll have Anton Villert, John Spraw, and Eric Shoji all on the weekend. So you get an opportunity to hear from those guys. The men's team spent yesterday out at Wrigley or anywhere else in the city, depending upon who you were and what you wanted to do. Maybe some people slept all day after going out on Saturday night. Maybe Maybe some people went to the Bean and took a picture, because the Bean's pretty cool. At 4 in the morning, maybe. Yes. That would have been done the week before, because we were staying (laughs) a half a block from it. Oh, okay. But those guys had a day off, then headed out today. They fly to Serbia. So they're headed for Serbia today. Oh, wait, no, pardon me. Headed for Russia. Russia today. Then they will be in Serbia afterwards. This is the beginning of a long trip that started on Wednesday with some weather delays and so on for the men's team. Is it Serbia and Montenegro or just Serbia? No, no. Different place. Serbia is its own place. Okay. So I believe they're going to be playing in Belgium. Showing my UC education right there. (laughs) (laughs) But it's better than Peeper Dine. USA owns FIVB men. Did you know that? 
USA Volleyball owns FIVB men. Yes, yes. I did know that. Yes, Hyden and Bourne, Doherty, Lucena met in the final. Huge. We'll talk about that a little bit. Big, big, big job there. And we will look up the women's. I know April Ross and Kerry Walsh out early. Kerry Walsh Jennings. Uh, something I saw some tweet from April. I'll have to look that up during the show. Okay. To check that out. So cool. that's kind of what we have laid out for you. And, of course, we'll have whatever else comes up, whatever other random things come up. I think, Jay, you and I are going to talk about ADs and coaches. Yes. But I want to start out with Chicago food. Okay. Cause now, a, you're, now you're talking my language. You I mentioned Portillo's. Yes, Portillo's. Sponsor me, Portillo's. Those that have been watching my feed or the NetLive's feed on social media over the last week have noticed my proclivity for Chicago food <laughs> and my proclivity to post about Chicago food. So Portillo's got some love last week, my hometown in Naperville. Also getting love last week was Protein Bar. Oh. Getting love this week was Protein Bar once again. Yes. I drove 20 minutes to go to Protein Bar in Schaumburg from Hoffman Estates. Can you spell Schaumburg? S-C-H-A-M-A-U-B-E-R-G. No, no. A U M B U R G B U R G Schomburg. Yes, I was very close. You were okay. Can you spell Sepulveda? I can. S E P U L V E D A Sepulveda. 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 Very good. Yes. So Chicago food uh, and Paul Sunderland, my broadcast partner. His body's a temple. <laughs> He's got to take care of himself. Paul Sunderland in fantastic shape. Yes, he is. Jack Lane of the sports, so to speak. That's a good call. Jack Lane <laughs> of sports announcers, Paul Sunderland. He, <laughs> yes. he will not eat late at night. He doesn't eat a bunch of carbs. He's very careful about what he does. He works out every day. Man is in good shape. Yes. We took him to Giordano's Pizza. Oh. We were going to go to Connie's Pizza. That was my pick. Connie? My hometown Chicago-style deep dish. I'm a Gino's East kind of Connie's guy. Pizza. But that was like 40 minutes away. Russ Rose stepped in and said, I don't know if Connie's, I, I don't think Connie's the best pie. He said, I think Giordano's is the best pie. Nice call. So I looked up and said, well, where's the closest Giordano's? It was 15 minutes away. Better than having to drive 40 down in Naperville. Without so, question. More, more time to stuff your face. We went to Giordano's. Of course, it takes 40 minutes to make a pie. Remember that. You might want to call ahead. <laughs> we go to Giordano's. Paul Sunderland. Because it's Chicago, because it is a special place, he puts down two pieces of giant Chicago deep dish pie, carbs for days. Wow. He must have took a nap was, at the table. I was proud of my partner. <laughs> I had three pieces. I, I did not eat anything in the VIP room at the match because I walked in with three pieces in my stomach from a couple hours earlier, and I looked at the popcorn chicken, and I went, that's just... <laughs> that does not look good right now. <laughs> what were the so toppings cool. of choice? What did you guys get? They wanted to have sausage and pepperoni. That's a good call right there. They have a buffalo chicken deep dish that I wanted to try. No. But no. we went sausage pepperoni with the sauce, with everything is classic deep dish Chicago style. Even when you walk into Giordano's, it smells like it should. It's heaven. Oh, it's heaven in a room. Oh, is there, is is Giordano's like my favorite Gino's East uh, BYOB? I don't know. Good question. It's that is one of the, day, the so that is one of the most fantastic uh, business models I've ever seen. Is you could come here, you could drink and and eat of our stuff that we make and buy, but you could bring your own beverage of choice to the restaurant. Now that is a win win. That is win-win. a win win. 
all around. Got some posts on the chat board here from uh, one Dan Redhead Mickle. Ah, uh, yes, Dan Mickle, my assistant for the PBL, just text me as well. FIVB result yeah. in the chat room. He's got him up here. He says fifth, uh, April Ross, Kerry Walsh, Jennings. Seventeenth, Day and Ross. Fender can sweat. Seventeenth as well. Although they did a nice job of babysitting on the trip, they took care of Little Dalhauser. Nice, saw that. Some nice Li- Little Dalhauser is that a Little Dalhauser? Uh, might be. Okay. Uh, Jennifer Fatma and Whitney Pavlik finished twenty fifth. So there's your here's your women's recap. Thank you, Dan Redhead Mickle. And me... I say redhead, and not because he has any hair, but <laughs> you saw Dan after a day with a visor on out of oh, camp. Oh boy! The top of his head looked like the color of my walls. Here in the loft. Let me give you a little red. I'm going to give you a little a little background history or a little story about Dan Mickle. So I coached a PBL team representing the Keystone region at the Adult Open Nationals. Uh, Dan Mickle and Pete Media. Pete Media owns the uh, Pittsburgh Volleyball Club out there, and Dan Mickle owns the Yorktown Volleyball Club. So those two were my assistants yeah. for this tournament. So the first day uh, we get into the gym and we're getting ready for our first match and. I look around, and I put the lineup in, and I give it to the ref, and all of a sudden we realize that I have forgotten to bring the libero jerseys. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. And our libero was, was, was pretty darn good, so we needed him for this match. And I look around, and obviously I can't go anywhere. I can't send my libero because he's got to stay. Maybe I can use him as a DS. So I look around, and I see Mickle, and I said, Mickle. First job as an assistant coach, I need you to run to my room, I need you to grab the libero jersey, and I need you to do it now and as fast as possible. Mickle, without question, grabs my hotel key, runs the two blocks to our hotel, grabs the jersey, and comes back. Now, we are in the match. We are 15 points deep in the first game. Mickle comes back, doesn't even go up to the libero. He throws the jersey from as far away as he could to get it there even faster. Kid throws on the jersey. Before Mickle even gets to the, t- to the bench, the kid is already subbed in, and we go in, and we win that first game. Nice. Now, Mickle sits down drenched in sweat. Mind you, we are in Phoenix. It is 148 degrees outside in the shade. <laughs> Mickle is drenched in sweat. His handlebar mustache is wet-looking. Let's, let's put it that way. <laughs> Immediately goes into his bag, grabs out his inhaler, and he's wheezing and sucks a couple of he's drinks. He's got an asthma attack, He's too. got an asthma attack. And what do I do? I look at the kid, and he goes, what else do you need, coach? And now that is an absolute unbelievable assistant. Dan Mickle, hats off to you, my friend. That was the main reason why we won that match, because you came quickly. And he could build you a modified bug if you'd like. Yes, I am actually in the market. If anybody out there, I know, I know we only have a handful of listeners that, that, that are live, but if anybody out there knows of a 21 or 23 window microbus oh. for sale, oh. I am in the market. And I've, I've told Dan, he has been on the lookout for me, but I am in the market. I don't want the $250,000 redone, remodeled. I want one that I can rebuild myself. So please, reach out to me. Let me know where what? to get it. What do those go for? Brand, they're not in good condition. Well, if you get it in okay condition, anywhere from ten to $35,000, depending okay. upon how bad the thing needs to be worked on. Okay. The top end that I've seen for ones that are tricked out, whether stock or lowered, so to speak, $250,000. Man, there's some baby boomers, boomers with some cash. I'll tell you what. My first car I almost bought was a used microbus, $1,500, and I'm kicking myself in the seat every day wow. for it. Wow. Yeah. You didn't know all those baby boomers would be so excited. No, I did not. And, Port- and Oregon, obviously, is the number one place to buy the used ones. So if anybody... It Oregon, is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's Hippieville. 
Wow, I would think down here would be good, too, because they'd be in pretty good shape comparative to the Midwest. Well, you would think that, but there's salt air sometimes. The people that own them, obviously, oh, by the beach, point. there's a lot of rust and it's a lot of issues. You need somebody in the desert. Yeah, you need somebody in the, in the desert or in the high mountain range area, and Oregon is, is obviously where most of them are. So reach out to me. Let me know. All right. Okay. 20, 21 or 23 window. Microphone. Yes, 1963, 64, somewhere in that range. If anyone could get me a deal on Cobb tuning exhaust for a 2014 Subaru, let me know. I'm <laughs> ah. throwing stuff out there. Yes. Cobb tuning. As uh, my wife asked, she said, you want it to be louder and more horsepower? <laughs> Those aren't things you need. Duh. Uh, go. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Why would I not need that? She's like, I can already hear you from a block away. <laughs> or two blocks. I've, I've got time to put laundry in the washer before you get home to make it look like I'm doing something. Yeah, man. It's got a little <laughs> rumble to it. So the Giordano's Feast was awesome. Pizza Feast 2014, uh, 3,462 calories consumed by myself. Mr. Sunderland getting away with uh, 2,800 mm. alone. It was, it was excellent. Love going back there. However... I mentioned, may have mentioned the weather last week and that I was going to move back to Chicago. 70 and sunny, beautiful in downtown. I already had a condo picked out. I was going to move into the Trump building right there on the river. Sweet. And it was going to be awesome. We were going to put the kids in boarding school, and the wife and I were moving to Chicago to be a couple of uh, young professionals, uh, middle-aged professionals, I guess now. Well, the, the sale of your house here would obviously go pretty quickly with the new addition in the backyard, so that's good. Yeah, we were prepared. We yes. were out. Yes. Flew into Chicago, delayed on Thursday night. Got into Chicago. It is dumping rain, thunderstorms, lightning, construction everywhere. And I had to text her. I said, cancel all plans to move to Chicago. <laughs> it's muggy and hot. And, uh, yeah. I caught the one good week of Chicago weather. It's over. Summer has arrived. That was it. The Enjoy one the week. steam furnace. The one week out of the year, you hit it right on the head. And now, you've, uh, now, now you're back here in Southern California. On Saturday night. I miss bad weather. I like, personally, I like bad weather. I, I like a good I blizzard. I like a good sideways thunderstorm, rainstorm. It, Thunder and I lightning. I miss it. Yeah, any day it. of the week. So I'm, I'm only half joking about that stuff with Chicago because Saturday night, what, the show's entertaining. I know. I, apparently uh, somebody from North Carolina wants to talk to me. So. so Saturday night, it starts to rain. Actually, I'm talking to friends before I leave, and she said, look out your window. Here comes, here comes some weather. Because I was sitting in the lobby talking to them. They had just departed. I was changing clothes. We get in the car. It's dumping rain. I get in the car a little bit. It's just kind of just starting. The wind is going. Everything's going sideways like Braveheart. You know, good Scottish weather. <laughs> and we drive over to the arena, which is only a mile and a half away. It is raining so hard that I pull up right next to the door, dump out Sunderland. I then back up, and I'm thinking about parking across the little area there down in the loading dock. It's maybe 30 yards from where you park the cars to the door to get into the Sears Center. Okay. Maybe 30 yards. I couldn't do it. I parked right next to the, to the truck, right next to the door. Sears Center, they hate this, by the way. Security personnel at these arenas, they only have a small job, and they are out to do the best they can. Yes. So I park right behind the, t the satellite truck next to the TV truck. I run in. In the 10 feet that I went, both of my socks are wet. I, have, I look as though uh, I've, been, I've been sprayed by an elephant. Just <laughs> all over the shoulders. My hair is already soaking wet. 
And I only went 10 feet. Imagine if I went 30, I'd look like I jumped in a pool. Yeah, absolutely. So I went 30 yards. Absolutely. I get in. The guy, the guy goes, how long are you planning on parking there? I go, till it stops raining. <laughs> That's a good answer. At least you didn't say the whole night. You just said. I had to go and dry off my coat. But, yeah, I left my car there all night. It was raining until we started the freaking thing. <laughs> Come on. But it was, it was some good quality thunder, lightning pounding rain that was loud inside the Sears Center. You know, I, I like that weather. I know people in Southern California, having, having grown up here and spending a, a large portion of my life here, are not really used to what's known as rain or weather. Uh, you know, everybody, oh God, everybody yeah. out here pays their sun tax. Sunderland couldn't handle it. How many, how many times growing up did we see Stormwatch, whatever year it is, when there was a light mist on the ground? And if I heard it once, I heard it a billion times, please, everybody, remember... Not to drive fast in the rain because the oil comes up from the ground. Right. I mean, that, that's a statement that, that all happens, Californians actually. know. Right. And out west or out east and in the Midwest, we have weather, and I love it to no end. I'm actually, you know, I don't know if you know this, Barney, but I'm actually not allowed outside during a thunderstorm, and, and that's because of the abs of steel that I have would draw the lightning what? to where I'm standing. Who's, You've seen... What doctor told you that? that is, I've been told that by a number of doctors uh, <laughs> everywhere I've gone that I am not allowed to stand outside because I would be a lightning rod with my abs of steel. So, I didn't know that uh, <laughs> the condition of abs affected <laughs> lightning. I, this is, I learned something new when we have... Yeah, so. Good. Yeah, you know, the sarcasm on this show just it pales in comparison in the in studio as opposed to online when you can't see what's going on. But, yeah. All right, well, that's your weather report. Now, my wife already hung up on the show a while back. She's just <laughs> sick of the weather reports that we run here yes. on the program. But, uh, yeah, good event. Good event in Chicago. The folks turned out. Friday night filled in okay. Saturday night. Pretty packed once people got there. The weather delayed folks a little bit, but they got there. Good, raucous crowd. Here's the thing. A very pro-Bulgarian crowd. And you knew it. I knew it coming in. The team had to know it coming in. Basically, Chicago is filled with Serbs, Bulgarians, and Poles. Yep. That's the whole of Chicago. Why they have such good food, too. Oh, (laughs) You're not kidding. So, the Bulgarian fans... Kudos to them for showing up in high numbers, buying tickets, bringing their flags. There was a run on Bulgarian flags. Really? Every fla- uh, there was flags everywhere. That's if you cool. watch the broadcast on NBCSN, there were flags everywhere. That's very cool. And, of course, this starts a debate amongst U.S. fans, and it's been going on our Facebook page out there. Matt Gardhoff and others, Gordon Rez- uh, Redzik, sorry, Gordon, if I got it wrong there, John Laggio and Landicho. Landicho. Landico. Landico? Yeah. Down? Yeah, he's this coach at San Diego Mesa right now, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah. Drew Westling chiming in, a couple guys, and some other folks getting in a conversation. Thanks, guys, for doing that. Getting into a conversation about the fact that it was a home match for Bulgaria. Okay. It was. They were whistling the U.S. servers. What's the argument? They're getting upset that it's a home match. And I agree with some of what's been said. That's on the U.S. fans for sure. not showing up. Sure. I will take atmosphere over... Emptiness, a- even if it's sort of other atmosphere, if and it's for the, the other team. What, what I, w- I would absolutely agree with you. Here's, here is the challenge and the gauntlet that's being thrown down. Gardhoff, we all know about barbecue and the success that it produced for the matches here at Long Beach State. There has got to be another fan somewhere as rabid 
Asgard Hoff in other cities where they are putting these things on. Maybe. Maybe. If there are, the challenge is to you, my friends, to figure out a way to – you don't have to you know, crush them and not allow them to have any kind of fun whatsoever. This is a world event. This is a chance for people to be nationalistic and show their pride for their countries, and that's good. That's okay. But if we're in a place where it's 5,000 seats and 4,800 of them are the opposing team and only 200 are home fans and we are at home – then that becomes the, bu- the, the bummer. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a bummer for the game because the game still has the energy. It's a bummer for the U.S. players because they all talked about how awesome it was to see the barbecue going on outside the pyramid when they pulled up at the bus, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's on the fans. Yeah. You, ha- you have to show up. Yeah. You have to make it that there are 3,000 Bulgarians and there are 8,000 U.S. And this is your national team. This is World League. This isn't I even know. a friendly. I know, but people... People don't deal. know about it. People just don't know about it. Well, hats off to you Bulgarian fans out there in Chicago for, uh, for stepping up and, uh, and showing support for your team. Apparently it worked on Saturday. It did. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that match later when we have some audio from the, the weekend. Okay. We'll take a short break here on the Net Live. Coming up, Albert Hanneman. A- Albie. Albie. We'll Not call Abby. in. We, we will talk to him about the NVL and amongst other issues. And things. We'll also have that World League audio, Russ Rose, John Spraw, and others talking about United States versus Bulgaria and other things happening. We also get to USA Beach and their successful weekend. Thanks for being here on the Net Live. We'll be right back with more.
Welcome back to the Net Live here on Volleyball Magazine. I want to make sure we thank our sponsors and supporters. The ABCA has been behind this program for a while. We appreciate their support as well as 6-8 Clothing Company who just jumped on board. It's wearing some 6-8 stuff again yesterday and over the weekend. People liking it. It's good stuff. If you know a tall, athletic man, you want to get them hooked up with this new men's apparel company from Seattle, Washington. They design and produce casual clothing for the tall and athletic male individual. You don't have to wear a shirt that's twice as wide as it should be. I left one behind this weekend, as a matter of fact, an old shirt, because I don't need it anymore. <laughs> you don't have to push your jeans down to dangerously low levels so you don't look like you've been flooded out. You don't look like you just went on a growth spurt, except you're 33 years old. Dress well, live tall, 68clothingcompany.com, and that is six, the number 8 clothingcompany.com. You can also find them on Amazon. Get out there and support them, because they support 10. It'll get you 10% off. I am neither tall nor athletic, so that is not for me. However, we do have... You might know somebody. We, I I've actually have some friends that have purchased some of their clothes, and they really do like them. So uh, stoked to have them on board for sure. You can get an LT, that's large, tall, yep. or an, X, an LXT, large, extra tall, if you really have an upper body on Huge. You. So good stuff there. Go ahead and visit 68clothingcompany.com. Make that happen because they are behind this show, as you are. Thanks for listening via iTunes. If you're getting us via iTunes, tell your friends. Get them to download and listen to the program. You can take us wherever you go. And I think, I think Reed's actually checked in via Stitcher and some other, some other ways. But you can go to the Blog Talk Radio player that's available on either Blog Talk Radio or on the Volleyball Magazine website. All those places have the NetLive available for you. Still have Albert Hanneman. Coming up here on the show, we also have United States owning beach volleyball. Owning. Owning it. All U.S. final at the FIVB in Germany, in Berlin. Haydn and Born, Triborn, John Haydn. John Haydn, 62 years old. He'll be 63 in August. That's good to know because I actually thought he was 58, so uh, that's good. Yeah. He's older and still dominating. Haydn and Born defeat Doherty and Lucena. In the finals. How about Darty and Lucena? Kid's huge. Darty looks a little more physical this year. He looks more like a volleyball athlete and not so much like a high school senior. Well, I know that he was running around in the shower to get wet, so I've heard. So he uh, has filled out a little bit? Yeah, he's filled out. Okay. He, and, uh, he and Lucena had a good one. And Brazil, both teams, both U.S. squads in the semis going through a Brazilian squad to get into the finals. Could have been an all-Brazil final. Could have been a mix. Could have been an all-U.S. It was all U.S. Hyden and Bourne coming out on top. Triborn, was that his first FIVB tournament win? Yes. That kid, uh, I, I don't know him personally, but I know a lot of kids that I've coached over the years that grew up with him on the islands, and they all said the same thing, that he is one of those guys that he just gets it. He just knows how to play the game. Obviously, there's been a, a plethora of Hawaiians over the past Man. 15 years or so, but, boy, those islands churn him out, and, and hats off to Triborn and uh, – and uh, Hayden for pulling out that win. Nice job. Good volleyball culture. Eric Shoji, who you're going to hear from later in this program, of course, from there, Dave Shoji being the head coach at Hawaii for mm, ever, and 1,100-plus wins for him. Both of his sons actually get a start in night number two. Eric's been incredible. Kavika came in. First time we've seen him start, first time we've seen him for a long period of time. He kind of settled into the match nicely. Micah Christensen, of course, the starting setter for the USA men's team right now out of the Hawaiian Islands. It's, it's amazing what's happening. What if Hawaii 
had its own national team. They'd be pretty good. <laughs> They'd be pretty good. We actually had a few Hawaiians on my PVL team that uh, came out and played for us. So I, I definitely get uh, where, where it's coming from. They play really good volleyball out there. Right on. We have our first guest. He's in the queue. He's called up and spending some time with us. You've heard from him before. He's a longtime beach volleyball athlete and a serial entrepreneur who saw an opportunity a few years ago back in 2010 with the collapse of the AVP to maybe fill that space or at least start his own experience as owner of a tour. He is the owner of the National Volleyball League, the NVL. And he joins us once again here on the net live. Albert Hammond. Albie, you there? Hey, how you doing? Hey, good. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for spending some time. We know you're, uh, you're a little busy here. Middle of your season, you guys had the Texas Championships back in May. You had the ATL, the Atlanta Championships, just a couple of weeks ago, or I guess a week ago, maybe a week and a half. And the Midwest Championships are upcoming here in July. Give me a little uh, update on the status of the tour. Give me your state of the NVL address. Oh, lots going on, Barney. Um, yeah, we're excited now. We had a, a really good event in, in Dallas to kick off the season. Um, at a new facility, had had 24 courts. So we ran a, a fours, uh, a big junior tournament um, with the 692 guys out there. So they all went big to our um, global challenge and club met. Um, we were in Atlanta at Lake Point. Um, Sunjin has a new facility out there that was beautiful. Um, had these LED lights that would turn on, just push the button, and they came. The only place in the world that has them, and this place is an over billion dollar um, facility with all the other sports. Had three. Um, wakeboarding uh, areas next to the court where it was just crazy. They'd look around. It was like a giant playground for everybody and baseball. And uh, it was just really cool. Brand new place. Um, so we, we loved it there. I'm getting ready for Cincinnati, our second year over there in uh, Mason, uh, where there's a water park called the Beat that we're working with. That's really, really great. And, uh, yeah, things are going well. Our new uh, uh, beach series, you know, our NBL Rocks beach series is growing like crazy. Uh, just you know, over ten thousand members already, and it's just uh, it's been busy. I moved to Florida. I got the family uh, moved in over there a couple weeks ago, oh. and I'm still in LA. But um, it is a very busy summer. Move to Florida? That's a huge move. Did you move the entire NVL staff as well, or the offices? Uh, no, we have an East Coast office there now. We, we're keeping our office in Hermosa. There's just a lot of business happening on that side, and the six a.m. conference calls are pretty brutal. Um, so it was a big opportunity, and we didn't uh, we didn't have to do it. We just wanted to, to expand. I mean, there's more junior events in Florida right now than than the entire uh, you know any other junior tour out there. So it's really exciting, and you know, having the the academy there with all the courts, uh, you know, and and just having a place to really develop the sport, and you know, having a partner like Club Med is is pretty uh, rare. Um, so you know, it's, it's nice. We got I got my wife and my two young ones are there now. Um, got him in the new house, and me and my oldest, uh, Maya, who we talk about a lot, are, are actually going to be going to Minnesota because I'm helping coach her indoor team for the J.O., so we're going to be here till Wednesday and then have some fun in Minnesota. Nice. Yeah, I know a few people headed up to Minnesota for J.O.'s. <clears throat> the Good. Brit, if I may make a suggestion, the Brit. Oh, we're back to food? Yeah, we are. Well, okay. It's a little more libation-oriented, but uh, the Brit is could, in Minneapolis. Could Maya go in as a junior player? Probably not, but I know LB would probably enjoy it uh, immensely. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'll be, the Brit, you need to make a visit. Yes. I will, hey, for sure. A lot of these new places you're going to, how are you developing these relationships and putting together the opportunity to host an NBL event? 
Well, just there's so many places popping up around the country now. With, obviously, it being a collegiate sport and, and high school sport, um, you know, there's there's a lot of phone calls. We're just trying to take the the, the places that we feel would be the best local promoters. Uh, obviously, working with Sinjin is one of my best buddies, and you know, Atlanta seemed to make perfect sense. Um, Dallas, when you anywhere you have 20, 24 courts, is the biggest place in Texas. So we're just trying to make the the best choices, uh, you know, having partners. It's so important to have someone locally that, that has a vested interest in what we're building and just doing long-term deals with them so we can continue to get bigger and better. Um, you know, it's always challenging going to a new place uh, or a new venue, but, um, you know, it's just it, it's so fun to see the response and, and how big the sport is growing. Uh, you know, it's, it's a good time for us to be uh, where we're at. Yeah, the sport is growing certainly at that level, but it hasn't stopped the top level from having – let's call it some disputes between you guys and the AVP. There's been some friction and some friction for the players. I've seen some stuff where players have registered for AVP events only to be told they cannot play in those particular events. Tell me about the state of relations between you and Donald's son or the NVL and the AVP. Well, I mean, like anything else, I mean, it's nice to have, you know, competition and anything that's doing really well right now. And, you know, as we talked about how big, sport is getting we're you know we're we're just growing man and 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 you know we fundamentally disagree with the exclusive contract situation i mean the players should have the right to play in as many tournaments as they can to try to make a living doing this there's just not enough uh you know pro events for them to play in um so you know we're we're not i wouldn't call it a dispute i would just say you know we're focusing on what we're doing and we feel like we have a sustainable business model and you know we want players to be able to play in everything and you know that's pretty much where we're at with this this issue. I mean, we don't have any animosity for what they're doing. We just, you know, want to keep moving forward. And I feel like with what we're building with the, the academy and our new grassroots series and, and our pro events right now, I mean, we're finally in a in a situation there where we can be proud of, you know, being sustainable and not losing money. And, you know, we're, we're on a long-term plan here. So it's not, you know, what, what do we got to do to worry about our competition. I mean, competition is good for the sport, and I think it's big enough that there can be mentors out there doing well. You, you, you mentioned, this is Jay, by the way, Albie, you mentioned that, uh, that there's enough tournaments out there for people to make money, and the challenge that I face or that I see is, you know, the, the, the contract dispute that's going on between you and the AVP and the, and the fans want to know. So they can play in your tour without question, and they can be members of the AVP tour and still play in your tournament. Would so that be a correct statement? Yeah, we're we're not excluding anybody. I mean, we we you know we want all players to be able to play and develop. And you know, if if they choose to to not let players play elsewhere, then you know that's their business. Um, it's unfortunate for the players and the fans because um, they want to see more volleyball. You know, there's we have six events, they have seven events, and you know I feel like um, there there should be more opportunities for the players. So we're we're going to keep you know doing what we're doing, and and we're getting bigger, and we you know we're adding some events in California. Uh, with some of our partners that we're about to announce and you know it, it's it's unfortunate but you know again we're not worried about it you know, we're not losing any sleep over it we're just going to continue to keep the doors open you know for everyone and them if if we can figure something out and, and do what's best for the sport we're going to continue to do what we're doing 
And I, and I would agree with that statement. I think it makes sense when there's only 13 tour stops between the both of your tours that the average player, if you're only playing half of those events, so to speak, and you're not allowed to play in the other half, meaning the players that maybe uh, are part of your organization they want to go play in the AVP and they're not allowed to, that's really a hindrance when it comes to trying to make money. We all know that in this day and age, you know, the players aren't making what they made back in the day when you were playing. And so I, 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 I find it hard to believe that the AVP is being so closed-minded, and I'd really be interested to hear uh, some of the inner workings that goes on with that whole decision-making process of why they're not allowing. And, I, and I, I'm not asking you for the answer because I know you're not you know, part of their business, but it sounds to me like your business model makes a little bit more sense, which is, hey, we want to be all-inclusive, and yes, this is a competition between two tours, but we really want the players to thrive, and in order to do that, we've got to allow everybody and anybody who has the ability to get in here to be a part of this whole, this whole tour. No, that's well said. I mean, you know, you look at it from the top, from USAV and being able to govern the sport. And, you know, we have this cooperative scheduling concept. You know, we, we just want to make sure that, you know, we're here. All we can do is put out our dates, um, you know, make sure we're running great events and, and, you know, make sure that we're giving these guys an opportunity to play and, and get better. And we're the best country. I mean, you know, look what happened in the FWB this week, and it's awesome to see, you know, we're – watching really closely because we want our athletes to do well wherever they're playing and, you know, how, how we're going to be and continue to be the best in the world. we got to have more events for the, you know, the other guys that aren't fortunate enough to get to go play FIVB and play in that competition. You know, there's got to be more domestic events. There's got to be more cooperation here if we want to continue to, you know, to be a top country and, and you know, thrive in the Olympics. So, yeah, I, I mean, we're really getting it from the, from the junior side, you know, as you've seen. I mean, it, it's Really, really cool to see. I mean, in Atlanta, just to, to talk about, kind of give you a visual of what's happening. You know, we, we have the kids out there playing in a tournament, you know, two days prior alongside the pros. And then the finals, you know, we're bringing the kids and letting them play on the live stream. All the pros are going out taking pictures with them after. And it's just a really cool feeling. The families are loving it. The kids are getting that experience to, you know, one day hopefully be the next best players in the world. And I feel like we're doing a good job, um, you know, building that. You know, it's it's interesting you mentioned about the support level from USA Volleyball or just anybody in general for volleyball in the United States. Yet, with, with the support level being as low as it is, especially, you know, on the men's indoor side not being huge, but yet we are still one of the, if not the best country in the world year in and year out when it comes to beach and indoor volleyball. And that says something about, the, you know, the players that are coming out of these programs. They're, they're really... You know, they're getting good training and they're they're feeling like they're they're able to compete at the highest levels and be successful. Yeah, and, and you know, I, this weekend I was lucky enough to get to check out a lot of the local tournaments. You know, I went to Solstice and this lushness and, you know, went down to the CBVA in, in Manhattan. And, you know, they had 45 women's teams playing. And they actually, you know, they couldn't take any more men's teams because the women signed up early and they took a lot of the, the courts. But, you know, just being out there talking to all the players and staying connected. And there was a lot, a lot of junior teams, like I'm saying junior high school teams that were out there battling, you know, playing really well against the pros and, and the top players that were there, you know, training and, and getting a good practice in. So you're really seeing a a change of the sport. I mean, the women's side is growing crazy. And, you know, I'm really focused also to help the men's side grow. So we're doing a lot more for, uh, boys programs and making sure that they're going to be at our junior championship in, in August at Club Med because, you know, they really want a place to play. And, um, I, I mean, it's just exciting to see. And I'm fortunate enough to have a daughter that loves the sport as much as all of us. And so she's just dedicated and she'll be, you know, with, at the academy and going to school 
in August, you know, with sports psychologists, you know, sports uh, nutritionists, trainers, and then, you know, Brooke Niles and myself and a lot of the other pros will be coaching these kids. Uh, it's something that we all wish we had when we were growing up, but I'm just, uh, like I said, it's just it's a really rare, unique opportunity right now in the sport, um, you know, that, that we can make a difference. And, you know, I think everything's going to work out, and I, I just, you know, I want the players to be able to, you know, have as many opportunities as they can to play. I mean, you know, it's it's just, uh, it, it's going to work itself out. And like I said, we, we just want to keep going with, you know, we have our business model. We're, we're really uh, excited and, and confident, you know, that we're finally, you know, turning the corner here. I mean, we're getting our first semi-truck next week and we're wrapping it with all of our sponsors. We'll have all of our equipment in there. And so we'll be able to go to more places and, you know, it's just baby steps, but I feel like, um, you know, we have so much support and thank, thank all the fans out there and, and the players that are, you know, you know, getting behind what we're doing. So we're in a good spot right now. Are you guys in the black with the NBL? Uh, very close. Um, we're, we're, every weekend is, uh, is another chance to, to really, uh, you know, become profitable. And we're, we're, we're tight, man. We, we got this thing. The, the events are you know, running events is not easy. I mean, it's, as you know, Barney, we talked about this. It's, you know, having all the things that we want to do to make it a great event from referees to, you know, we have a really good medical group with Dr. Dom and Hermosa actually flies out and he puts together the top, you know, doctors out there and, and physical therapists. So, you know, that's a, it's a, it's a weekend where a lot of the players are telling me, well, they get better care. They want to just come to the tournament so they can get fixed and come out there and, you know, um, and, and that's, that's a deal that we have, you know, we're trying to help him. He helps us. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's not something that's costing us a lot of money and, and, you know, it's giving the players a lot of, um, you know, advantages to come out and, and be a part of what we're doing. And, you know, we're, we're getting more sponsors on board. I mean, they're loving the grassroots they're loving the Academy and they, they love our pro events. So it's more of a year round activation now, more than just, you know, a five, six month tour. So they can really look at, you know, how do we activate with clinics in the off-season. We're doing a lot of indoor stuff with rocks and just trying to stay more connected, you know. We're connected to everything from indoor and out, and, and you know, everyone's playing beach now, so it's, it's a really good time to be here. Albie, it seems like with the dispute with the NVL and the AVP, it's surprising to me that it's still going on because it appears to me that you guys have shifted your focus at the NVL to more of the developmental side of things and the juniors side of things. You're mentioning the academy uh, set up, you're moving to Florida, you're trying to get kids opportunities to play when it comes to high school and collegiate beach volleyball or sand volleyball, whatever you want to call it. Is that the future of your organization and why even engage in the professional side of things anymore? Well, you know, it took us four years to, to really, you know, become established on the pro side. We need the pro side to be, really be the marketing platform for everything underneath it. So, you know, now that everyone knows what the NVL is and, and, you know, you need to have that. I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, it's something that, you know, we're most passionate about, you know, we're all players that are, that are, you know, running this and, and, you know, we want to make sure that that is, is our priority. Um, you know, everything underneath it has been personal passion, you know, wanting to make sure that we're developing it and giving everyone else opportunities. Um, but, you know, it's definitely, Barney, what you're, you know, getting at is, you know, why would you do that when you can be really profitable doing everything else? But without the NBL as a pro league, you know, I don't think everything else can thrive. Um, you know, it's a lot different walking into a meeting, having the NBL and all these other entities now growing and making it all bigger. Uh, it just widens our whole platform. And, and so, you know, we're going to continue to to raise prize money, rate, you know, increase events um, and, and opportunities. So I think it all works really well 
together, and I, I'm thinking everything will, you know, it'll work out one way or the other. We're we're not going anywhere, you know. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing, and and you know, I don't uh, I don't have any doubt that we're going to be successful. You had mentioned about uh, you know uh, trying to to get into the black, so to speak, every weekend, and you're putting together these events. A question tying into that whole statement is. Are you doing events uh, solely on the beach, or are you making them also uh, available into these new mega facilities that seem to be popping up everywhere? I know Sinjin Smith has got one going on down in Georgia, and I know that um, Steve Bishop is part of a group that's putting one up in Florida. Uh, is it more cost-effective for you to do these events solely on the beach, or is it more cost-effective to do them at these mega facilities? Is there kind of a balance between both? Uh, you know, is, and you mentioned change in the direction of volleyball. Is this a direction that maybe beach volleyball is going to, where we, we're kind of getting away from the whole hassle of being on the beach and taking them to these facilities because they're just popping up everywhere? Yeah, you're right. And, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a combination of, of the two, you know, and when you have, uh, you know, these places, they want to be, they want to get put on the map, you know, we're able to utilize the Rocks Beach Series to, to bring in, you know, multiple events to, to give them value, you know, to host our, our junior and adult events at these new facilities. And then on top of that, you know, bring a pro event there. So, um, it, it's more expensive, um, typically, you know, depending on what beaches you want to go to. I mean, Chicago, it's so expensive to get permits there. It's like, well, there's 10 other places in the Midwest that want to host events. You just got to kind of make those decisions and then, um, you know, do what's best for, for everyone involved. And, um, you know, these, these, the beauty of having, you know, having our truck coming and, you know, being able to move around more like a circus. I mean, when I first started playing, I remember my first event in 93, you know, we were in the downtown and, Austin, and everyone thought, you know, why would you do that? It's a a great lifestyle sport, but we're bringing the beach to everybody now. So I I like that. I like the, the, you know, mobility, the the ability to go and play anywhere at any event. We're going to be at an Indy car race in Milwaukee, you know, in August, and right after the state fair, and we're going to, you know, introduce the sport to thousands of people that's never seen it before. So... I think it's our responsibility to get out there, you know, to, to, to show these great athletes, you know, what, what they can do and, and how exciting this sport is. And, it, and that's how we, you know, continue to be unique in our business model and, and also just to be able to introduce this, you know, and also let them know if you are looking at, you know, building a facility, which we're getting calls every day. I mean, it's, it's just great. You have these municipalities all over the country that are building courts, you know, in their cities because there's no maintenance on it. Once they put it in there, you know, they want to they want to be able to, to give, you know, the public and people a chance to go do something that uh, is healthy. And, you know, we can support that in, in, in many other ways, you know, with our beach series and, and with the pro events, doing clinics with the pros. And there's just so many, you know, great things to be able to help that, that side of it. But, I mean, it's a great question. I mean, I, I really do think that the ability to play anywhere and everywhere now just opens the doors you know for us you're listening to net live here on volleyball magazine we're talking to the owner of the nvl longtime volleyball player and serial entrepreneur albert hanneman albie before we let you go here uh club med and your academy you've mentioned a couple of those those partnerships the partnership with club med and this volleyball academy give us some more info on what it is you're doing why you've gone and taken your whole family to florida yeah, thanks, Marty. Um So basically, Club Med Academies, um, my partner there, Greg Brunick, started the IMG Academies in Bradenton and ended up leaving and partnering with Club Med. Um, and he's been there now for two years with tennis. They have 80 kids from 30 nationalities. They have golf academy with 
over 10 kids now in beach volleyball uh, through their market research company projects that we're going to be blowing out both of those combined. Uh, so, you know, for a couple of years we've been talking to try to, you know, see when the timing would be right. Um, and, and, you know, it just ended up being with Club Med, you know, they get over a thousand people a week, you know, at their resort that are, as soon as you drive up, you see these beautiful courts, you know, it's, there's only one entrance and everybody wants to come there and, Brooke Niles and Matt Heath are there coaching every day for, you know, just introducing it to new people, but also, you know, letting people know that it's there. It's, it's the only all-inclusive resort in North America. And, you know, one of my one of my biggest partners for the past 20 years doing the volleyball vacation stuff. And so it, it's a really great place, you know, to, to and unique, you know, being the only academy in the U.S., um, you know, having the NBL behind it with Club Med, um, you know, kids are flocking to it. We have our big championship. Um, junior event called the Global Challenge, um, August 1st to the 3rd. So, you know, all the top college coaches are already committed to going, and it wasn't that hard to get them to go. And we're like, you guys want to come to Club Med and see the best player in the world. And, you know, we have other kids from different countries are committed to coming, and they're winning bids at all these junior events. And, you know, it's turning into a special uh, opportunity. And, you know, we're doing the same thing in October called Volley Fest with all the adults you know, playing doubles, fours, the whole deal, and we're going to come watch the pros at our championship there on the 3rd and 4th of October. So we're trying to get, you know, utilize this facility. I mean, it's nice to say it's your your facility, you know, so we feel great about having the, the ability to, to host many different events. You know, we have a lot of FIVB teams committed to coming in the off-season to train there, um, you know, later this year after the season and next year. And, you know, we're, the, the, the junior season is just getting bigger. It's getting a little longer. As you know, a lot of the teams now and the kids aren't playing indoor anymore. They're they're committing over to just play beach and you know Fenoy over here and Holly and, and Barb has a great that we're working with and you know those kids want more opportunities during the typical you know season indoor season. Now they're ready to go and travel and you know do more high performance type training and camps and just you know be uh, involved in that. So I, it's definitely worth you know the the family adventure to get out there. Um, you know, it's it's great. I love Florida. Florida got a lot of good friends out there, and, and the main reason it's just so big in Florida and on the East Coast right now, it's going to be huge for the NBL to have a headquarters there, and you know, say come on down to Med and let's uh, let's take a meeting here. You know, it's it's a lot to, it's it's a lot easier to get people to come down there, and then uh, for the growth of what we're doing and and everything else, it's a it's a really exciting time. Yeah, good sales pitch. Come on down to Club Med. We'll have a meeting. We'll have some Mai Tais. We'll play a couple of... Uh, <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. All right, July 10th and 12th, the Midwest Championships happening in Cincinnati, Ohio. That is the Saturday Night Lights format new this year to the NBL. Then August 16th and 17th in Milwaukee. Then September 19th and 21st through the 21st here in Hermosa. October 3rd and 4th in Port St. Lucie. Lucie? St. Lucia? How do you say that? Or- Port St. Lucie. Hey, one more thing, Barney, I forgot to mention, you know, we added music to everything now it is to kind of give it another um, jump, you know. So we have Kelly James, who's an awesome singer-songwriter. Right. I don't know if you've heard him yet, but we're oh, doing no, we that at the Saturday Night Lights. He's, he's so great, and, and people are loving it. So, um, you know, that's one of the elements that we wanted to add and just to kind of do a full circle on the lifestyle of it, and it's been really great for us. We're, we're stoked to have him. Oh, yeah, look up Kelly James, kellyjames.com. He is awesome. Tried to get him for my birthday party, but I didn't have enough coinage to compete with another event. <laughs> Kelly James, the fantastic entertainer. Great stuff. Uh, Albie, good luck with the move. Hope uh, hope you like Florida. I know leaving California state taxes will be just fine for you. I'm sure that'll work out. 
Yeah, not bummed about that at all. Thanks for all you guys do. Love, love what you guys are doing and appreciate the support. Cool. Thanks. Albert Hammond. Appreciate See you, See you, man. And checking See in you and getting all the information that you want to have about the NVL. Their schedule running. They still have four events yet to go, and you heard Albie talk about all the junior stuff that they have going. And he's also a longtime entrepreneur there at Volleyball Vacations. Uh, one of a couple outfits taking people out and merging volleyball with cruises and places to play and you know someday i may not have a job anymore up here and i may uh, be looking for a job and uh club med sounds pretty fun that might work <laughs> kudos to him you know, just volunteered too so of course both yeah we'll, we'll both be the handle handlebar mustache guys down there you know i'll be mentioned the whole uh facility thing those facilities those mega facilities are popping up everywhere and some of them i've only been to a handful they are some of them are so much fun to be a part of. There's music playing. There's lights you can play at night when it's cooler. Um, you know, they've got great bars. They've got great food. They've got all kinds of fun stuff going on. They've got leagues. They've got, you know, fire pits. I mean, these people are really taking it to another level. And, and you know, for purists like, like myself back in the day or for you, and you know, we, we look at it and go, why wouldn't you just play on the beach? The beach is sometimes a lot of a hassle. There's no parking. This sounds way more fun, what you're talking about. Yeah, it, it's, 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 you know, there's, there's no parking. Uh, there's a ton of people trying to play on the courts. Maybe there's not enough courts and there's a waiting line. You didn't put your bag out. And yeah, you know, there, there's tons of wind. Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of things that come with it where, yes, it's a lot of fun when you live by the beach or if you have a day plan, you're going to go. You're playing turn. I'm not trying to say don't go to the beach and play. But if you live in the middle of the, of the country and there's not an ocean nearby you, these places are pretty darn fun. And I'd, I've been thinking about trying to build one myself uh, where I live. It's just it's one of those things that that seems to be the direction is let's, let's combine combine a number of fun things together and let's center it around one thing but let's add all these other components to it and it's really really a good time parents are always looking for safe fun places to send their kids this is one of those ideas to incorporate all that stuff we're going to take a quick break here on the net live we'll be right back with world league audio we'll give you a good feel of what it was like to be in hoffman estates this past week a lot of different viewpoints on what was happening with the event and some opinions on what's going on with the united states But first, let's give you a little bit of Kelly James. You just heard he is in partnership and doing concerts in combination with the NVL. Well, here is a little Kelly James for you here on The Net Live. I miss my hometown where I grew up. It's so hard to say I don't live here no more. So hard to say I don't live here no more. You know I miss my hometown where I grew up. Dark and skate parks, small cops and golf carts trying to stop us like Paul Blah. Stops was the currency, upper deck the stock with that summertime urgency. Football on the block, repping like a pullback hole. That was our block, ice cream truck rides low. Every day at 3 o'clock, my best friend's house, man, you know I never not see a Volkswagen buggy, you were bound to get socked. I miss my hometown where I grew up. It's so hard to say I don't Some point it was cool to rock a retainer or braces. Couple great teachers 
still remember their faces Break a window playing ball and it was off to the races Uncles after school stick your tongue out like Jordan Mom can I get these shoes? Some we can't afford em. Got music from a cassette tape radio recording A kiss the truth to them and I swore that I was scoring I miss my hometown There you go. There's a little taste of Kelly James, man. You want to check it out, get on iTunes and check him out. If you want to see him in person, National Volleyball League, NVL is the place to do it. Mason, Ohio, coming up on July 12th. Then you're going to have August 16th. That'll happen in Milwaukee, October 4th, Port St. Lucie, Florida. You can see Kelly James in person and get an opportunity to be a part of an NVL event as well as get some good music. You can also see him if you want to go. This is where I want to go. I want to go to the Red Bull MotoGP at Indy. I got a drink. You can go see him there. Yeah, that would that would be merging worlds for me. That would be music and racing and volleyball, yeah, all in one. What would you do more? Would you be part of the racing more, or would you be part of the volley more? No, nah, I'd go. I'd go Red Bull, man. No. I can't play volley. What am I going to do? I got to just sit around and watch. <laughs> Which is why one of the reasons why I'm sure you turned down the offer to take on Garthoff and myself, but unfortunately, it wouldn't happen anyways with Jeremy being sick today. So no. Hey, The Recent Future by Kelly James. Go check it out. KellyJames.com. That's K-E-L-L-E-Y James.com. Good or, tunes. of course, get him on iTunes. It'll make you feel like you're at the beach no matter where you're at. Good dude. Really good dude. He's going to be on the Adam Carolla podcast. Nice. Biggest podcast in the world, right? I like Adam Coming Carolla. up. He'll be on that uh, shortly. Let me get the date here because his, his web page keeps resetting on me. <laughs> it just disappears and I can't scroll backwards. That's on Saturday, June 21st, 7 p.m. Be there. And I think you can go to that. That's in Phoenix. Right. Hey, let's give you a little audio from the weekend. We'd like to give you an idea of what it's like to be at a USA Volleyball event, to be at World League, and an opportunity to talk to some of these guys. So without further ado, let's give you a little insight. You're here. Yes. You're a Penn State guy. Yep. Let's give you another Penn State guy. I like it. All right. Just before night number two with Bulgaria here at the Sears Center, catching up with Penn State head coach Russ Rose. Russ, what does a women's coach know about men's volleyball? Well, if he's smart, he knows or she knows that uh, if you want to pick up some good pointers, this would be the level that you'd want to be uh, checking out. I tease you a little bit about that, but what are some of the major differences you see when you watch the international game versus collegiately? Well, I mean, just, you know, all the players are the top players, so... You know, some of us in the college programs are trying to massage our lineups and putting things together, taking into account that, you know, we maybe aren't strong in every area, but these guys are strong in every area. And what I've always done, and I've been going on tours with the men's team for probably 25 or 30 years over over the course of time with with different coaches, is, you know, when I when I think I'm going to have some physical female players, I, I look at their ability to uh, be successful against their counterparts the same as the top male guys against the other male guys are. So, you know, I, I really prefer to play my style, play closer to a men's style. So this really kind of allows me to reinforce a lot of my thoughts and principles. 
Do you ever wistfully look out there and go, boy, we wouldn't really have to solve the puzzle the way we do at college, piecing together things people can't do? Well, yeah, for sure, it's uh, it's a lot different. You know, I'm sure Karch has a, you know, has a different dilemma because he's probably got about 50 good players that he can select from. So, it's uh, you know, it's a great problem to have, but it's also great to see some of the players from the other countries that, uh, you know, are so good. And you know, it's really impressive. You know, Taylor Sander just, you know, it just kind of hits the ground running at this level. It's unbelievable. Give me a better start than Taylor Sander has had when it comes to uh, collegiate game to the international game? I, I don't know. I asked, I asked Doug Beal that yesterday, and he, he, he mentioned George Romain, and I shook my head. No offense to George. He's an officer. I'm thinking Karch. <laughs> I'm thinking Karch, so that pretty much sums it up. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of lessons in his coaching staff. Uh, I'm sure he's working with him all the time with uh, the nuances that he's going to have to work on once he starts playing against the best players in the world. What kind of feedback did you give John off of last night or the staff? What did you guys talk about? Well, I mean, I'm not giving them much feedback. I'm, I'm more listening than talking. But, you know, in my mind, uh, you know, I didn't think either team played especially well last night. So I thought the U.S. made a lot of errors in the first game. And after they stopped making all those errors, they were about eight or nine points better than uh, Bulgaria. Now tonight I think Bulgaria is going to play with their uh, – you know, Sokolov, uh, we walked into the tail end of practice today and he was playing. So I would think he's going to play. And I think he would, if anything, be also kind of a spiritual leader. And they may play a little bit harder. But, you know, I think uh, you know, I think we're a little better at a couple of positions. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, you guys know men's volleyball. You know, there's a lot of pride uh, out there. And, and, you know, everybody's going to compete, especially if the games are close. You know, when the games got away from them last night, it was, uh, you know, they were ready to go home. What kind of cigar did you smoke today? Uh, I didn't get a chance to smoke a cigar. What? Wilroy had meetings today, so I didn't. What bring. about yesterday? Uh, yesterday we had a nice uh, Dominican cigar. You make any recommendations for folks? Where, what kind of cigar should they smoke? No, I don't. I don't think that's right. I, I think if they have access to Cubans, they should they should see why Cuba's uh, leading the world in uh, the production of great cigars. <laughs> All right, Russ. Thanks. My pleasure, buddy. There you go. <laughs> All right, all right. Two things, two things stick out to me before we get started. First of all, cigars. Uh, there's no shortage of Russ and cigar talk. I find it comical that he said, "I don't want to talk about that." Just know that Cuba's the place. I think the second topic, men's volleyball, and that's coming from a women's coach. And I, I'm sure you have some directions to go, so I'll let you start the conversation. But I have some things written down from that that I that I would like to discuss. One of the things he always brought up was what's possible with an athletic woman. And I think of Deja McClendon. And let's be honest about women's volleyball. You can figure out quickly, if you're watching a match or if you're watching women's basketball, you can figure out quickly who the real athlete is because they stick out in a way that you don't see in the men's game as much. You can see a transcendent male athlete, but the similarity between a transcendent male athlete and a awfully good male athlete is much closer than I think when you see a Deja McClendon type or a Destiny Hooker type, somebody who can really move and really execute the physical movements that are necessary in these power sports. I think, uh, I think that's a good point. You, uh, this, I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but you can always tell a women's coach from a men's coach, and by that I mean teams, not necessarily their gender of coach themselves, but... A lot of women's coaches, and Russ talked about it a little bit, he touched the topic of having to make all these changes and substitutions and ways to enhance your 
the, the good stuff you do and decrease the liabilities you have on the court. And that's, that's really indicative of women's sports because of whatever reason, the physicality is just not there. And we're on the men's side. There's a lot less of that substitution game going on. Uh, you know, we're not uh, subbing in double subs constantly in every rotation. We're changing a lineup and moving a guy around and, and yeah. trying to, so, you know, he, he talked about it's where it's at. You know, if, if women's coaches, I think he was talking to women's coaches when he said this, you know, if you're not here watching this, you're missing an opportunity to see what the best of the best are doing in the world. and to see what the game looks like. To see what the game looks like. And, you know, and, and I, I don't mean to take this to a, to a men's game versus women's game uh, topic, but, you know, it's the direction of women's volleyball for the last 10, 15 years especially has been shifting towards the men's game and for, for, a variable, uh, for a various reasons. And the top programs in the country on the women's side, a large portion of them, and if you look at the championship numbers especially, they have men's varsity teams there. And they, they are able to watch, whether at a match or at practices, what they're doing in order to make their team better. And that's where the successful women's coaches are coming out of the woodworks and they're saying, hey, if we can start a men's team here, we could, we could raise the level of our women's team exponentially just because we get to see what happens in their gym. Yeah, and, and really the, the possibility of what you can do offensively, what you can do with a system if you get the right athlete is something you can see in the men's game. You may not be able to execute it, but you, it gives you somewhere to go to. And, and I think the women, they play... I've come to really appreciate women's volleyball more the more I've seen it. The way it's played, the rallies and the excitement of those rallies and, and things like that, the way they play defense and they're able to play block defense, to me that's impressive. But you don't have that transcendent hitter all the time. It's just annihilating the ball time after time after time. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and I think a lot of that is it, it's just evolving. You know, We're seeing a lot of multi-sport athletes, especially in the women's side, coming into the gym and they're seeing – what their counterparts are doing on the other side, and they're they're able to match or better it because they're just more physical. And the top programs you haven't seen it, right? Because they haven't seen it before, right, right? And I think the level of women's volleyball has been just accelerating. Yes, the last few years, the level of play, the physicality of the athletes, the quality of the athletes, the training that they have, it's all going the right direction for women's collegiate volleyball, and that's why you see at the national team the logjam of talent. Yeah, that they have in that it is a tough, yeah. tough job. And Russ mentioned that for Karch, he has he could put together three teams, three pretty good teams, two exceptional teams. You could probably be top ten, maybe top five with two U.S. squads. I, I would easy agree. top ten. I've the been there. third team might be fifteenth. Because of the amount of talent that's in the United States right now on the female side, of the game. it's a bottleneck. And I've been in that gym, uh, and it's it's. You know, you look at the men's side, and obviously the, the cream of the crop is in that gym, but there's still, you know, a couple dozen guys that are, that are in there. You look at the women's side. There's Twelve a hundred, guys maybe they can play. Yeah, there's a hundred girls yeah. that will go into that gym, and easily half of them can be on that team tomorrow. And yeah. you're, you're talking about such small nuances of the game that separate the best from the best, and it's unbelievable to see how hard those girls are working. They really, really bring it every single day. And, and, and a tribute to Russ, you know, I, obviously I, I work next to him, so to speak, down the hall. You know, I, I've been on one of those tours where he came with us to Germany back in the day before the uh, 08 games. His humbleness to be able to say, hey, I don't know everything, and I want to see what everybody else is doing. 
there's a lot of coaches that are not that humble, that are not able to say, hey, I, I don't know everything, and I'd like to see what somebody else is doing. A lot of them like to say, oh, I'm doing it the best way possible, and I just don't have the horses. Now, Russ, Russ gets horses, but he also really does a great job of watching other successful coaches do it. He trains them, too. He takes setters and makes them out to hitters, and out to hitters and yep. makes them setters. It's crazy what he does. Yep. Yep. All right, let's give you a, another person who maybe you don't know on the U.S. staff. Important guy from the U.S. staff. This is a guy who's, who has an important job that without that job, team wouldn't function. Here you go. All right, here we are before night number two against Bulgaria at the Sears Center here in Hoffman Estates with Anton Villert. I say it correctly? Yes, you do. Statistics coordinator, technical coordinator? Uh, yeah. Technical what, what, coordinator. Is your, what does your business card say? Uh, technical coordinator, team manager. Okay, for USA Volleyball. So give me some of your duties on a regular basis. Hopefully not laundry. Uh, no, laundry is not um, my duty. It's um, more analysis, performance measurement, um, taking care of the team when we travel um, in domestic or when we travel overseas. So you're dealing with plane tickets and travel arrangements, hotel, keys, that kind of thing? Yeah, we have a travel agency doing it for us, but we try to find the best route so our players um, don't have to travel a lot or have the best schedule, they have time off. We can have, have weightlifting um, on the road, so yeah. What are some of the issues you deal with with players when it comes to travel, ease of travel, some of the accommodations in travel, seat assignments? Uh, it's pretty easy. We always try to find the best seat for our players. If you're 6'10 tall, you don't want to have a middle seat when you fly 12 hours. But it's working out pretty well so far. The players are not complaining at all. They're appreciating everything we do, so it's a great job. If I ask you who's most difficult to deal with, that might be a problem. How about who's easiest to deal with? Uh... Everybody. It's no, there's nobody really more difficult, more easy. We make fun of, of each other. We have fun, so, but it's not very serious. So we enjoy traveling all together. When I started with this team back in 1997, we carried a ridiculous amount of equipment, regular-sized televisions and editizers and tapes and all this other crap and anvil cases. What's some of the equipment you guys are bringing today? What are some of the advancements and special stuff that's really to the advantage of not only travel, but also the information you can get out of it? I mean, the HD camera is the size of a wallet right now, so it's, it's way easier to travel. I still have five bags, but it's um, two laptops, a tablet PC, so we have video feedback on a bench, statistics, live performance measurement to adjust our tactic, uh, to uh, maybe change up the strategy if it's not working, or just to prove that what we were scouting before the game is, is working out. So you're talking to the bench, you have communication with them during the match. What sorts of things are you talking about? Um, Talking about if it's true what we saw on videotape, if um, we analyze at least six, seven games before we play a team, so to find out true tendencies, to find out structures, behavior of the setter, of, of the best attacker. And then during a game, we, we um, need to give feedback if he is maybe playing differently against us because we have a different middle blocker, or maybe because they played Russia before, Mizorski was playing middle level, that's why he was trying to hit line, and against us, He's trying to cross court, so it's a uh, um, permanently feedback loop if what we saw is correct or not, and then we adjust for sure. What's your volleyball background? Uh, I started playing volleyball when I was seven. Played for ten years, um, got an injury, became a coach right away when I was 19. Coached for four or five years division, in Germany. In Germany, Division Three as a head coach, and then assistant coach for the German national team and for Division One team in Germany. Then I moved to Hawaii for three seasons mm -hmm. as a technical coordinator. 
And then John Spra called me and offered me the job as a national team. Okay, so you're a German guy living in the United States, working for the U.S. national team, but you have a Belgian girlfriend who comes to visit. Yes. How does that happen? Uh, it happens in Germany. I met her in Germany. So, yeah. This is nice. It's perfect. Yeah, she, she has the freedom to travel. She can work from wherever. So during off-season, I have more freedom. So it works out perfectly. Yeah, what do you guys do during the off-season? How do your hours change? We know you're working a ton of hours right now traveling with World League, but you must get a little bit more control of your schedule in the winter. Uh, definitely. Last winter, not so much because we got hired very late. So we jumped in the season right away, and we used the winter time to prepare this summer, to prepare the World Championship, um, to get everything organized. But now everything is nice and structured. Um, we have more time. We don't have athletes in the gym, so we can really sit in the office for a few hours and write our system book. We wrote fundamentals, um, expectations we have for players. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so the freedom is that we don't have players, so we can uh, travel somewhere. Players are a hassle. They're not. <laughs> All right, give me a match score for tonight. You guys won 3-1 last night, dropped the first set, came back strong in the next three. What about tonight? I think we're going to win tonight 3-0. It's going to be a, it's going to be a house in the beginning, but if we can show Bulgaria what we're capable of playing um, and we win the first set, we're going to win in three. Cool, thanks. Yeah, thank you. Win in three. They could have. First of all, love the accent. 24-19, they were up in the first set. I know, that's a little Gave rough. away seven straight. A little rough. Yeah, Anton, he's a good dude. Yeah. You talk to Anton, he's a very good dude. I've, I've not worked with him personally, but I know people that have, and they all say that he is a, uh, one of the better guys in the gym. Uh, he, is, he has taken the job that Jamie Morrison had and has morphed it into including a little bit more things that has to do with travel and logistics and things of that nature, and, that's, and I think that's what Anton brings is... He's a grinder, and he's, he's bringing new ideas to the table. Belgian girlfriend. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Nice, nice job there, Anton. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, well played. Yes. By the German. Way, way to outkick your coverage on that one. Oh. Not, that you're, not that you're a slouch, my friend, but that's nicely done. Yeah, I like that he mentions looking for patterns and what he is. He's looking for patterns, but then during the match, trying to adjust that. He makes a fine point and something that I thought was missed years ago by certain staff members on some of our scouting reports that they say, oh, we, this guy likes to hit line. You go, yeah, I like to hit line too when Muserski's in the middle. When, Muser- when I'm facing Muserski in the middle, I will hit at whoever is on the line. <laughs> I don't want to go straight into the seven-foot-two guy or whatever Muserski is there. I do not wish to do that. And those patterns change. And from the position that Anton sits on the end line with some of the consultant coaches and others, He's in a position to see that better, perhaps, yep. and say, here's how the pattern has changed. Here's what we need to do next time through that rotation. I, you know, I, I'm the offensive coordinator in, at Penn State, and I've done defensive work for USA Volleyball over the years. And the, the challenge is, you know, when we're looking at offensive schemes from the other team and we're doing defensive, you know, what, what we're going to do against them, it's obviously you're looking at tendencies and percentages, and, and it's all about stats. You know, a good pass is what they like in this row, and, and that's the numbers. And granted, the game is organic, and it changes dramatically depending upon who they face. Offensive schemes, you can't watch what they do against other people because you don't know what the block is doing. And so I, it's, it's a fine line. You're right between 
what do we what do we do based upon what their numbers are on their side? But what do we do based upon what they're doing against us? And you're right, you can't see everything from the sideline. And Anton, along with Jamie and some other guys over the years, they're really good at recognizing those little minute adjustments and are able to give their hitters feedback. I, I think it's no longer uh, taking line or taking angle. It's based upon. Um, you know, the, obviously the rotation, but who they're matched up against more than anything. And that's, that's really where the fine line adjustments, I think, happen. Looking at pictures of Anton here from his playing career, this is fantastic. He's got the long hair he's going. He's got a sweet do. Yeah, he's not afraid. <laughs> he's got the beaver cut now. He's yes. got the best beaver cut on the staff. He had, a, he had a little bit of a beard and mustache growing on there for a little while, I think. I'm not sure if he still has it or not, but Anton's a good guy. You know, he... Uh, <laughs> He mentioned the whole thing about flying, and I'm sure you can attest to this. When we, when we were flying one time, long trip, probably about an 11-hour flight, and you know you could tell the the veterans, the veterans that didn't get the upgrade because they've been they know how to take care of their their uh, 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 miles. The veterans would walk down the aisles with $100 bills and be willing to switch it with anybody who will switch them in a, in a better seat, so to speak. The young guys who didn't know, they'd be the ones stuck in the middle. And I remember watching Sean Rooney, 6'9", in a middle of a 3-5-3 three, three seat arrangement, just miserable. And yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, you, want to, you want to be able to help him out, but you know, he's got to learn the hard way. And unfortunately, he was there for a good 10, 11 hours. Knees were up against the seat. Trying to sleep sideways. I mean, I just can't imagine what his back must have looked like after that trip. Traveling coach, not fun. Phil Etherton saw him yesterday. I remember him sitting in the middle. You look back, and there's Phil, just a head above everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. Let's give you some more audio. Who's next? Let's give you somebody who plays. Okay. Why is this only a minute? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Technical difficulties. Maybe. Let's see. Continuing the pre-Bulgarian series here before match number two against Bulgaria in Illinois, Eric Shoji Libero for the United States. Give me a grade for your team so far through the tournament, 7-0. and Yeah, um, it's been a great start. You know, I don't know if we were expecting the undefeated start, but um, we've been fortunate with a few five-set matches, and, you know, we're grinding every point out, battling hard out there, so it's been a lot of fun. All right, night number one, you guys lose the first set 25-20, and they were bombing serves. I don't, people were worried about, oh, Taylor Sanders getting aced. Hey, anybody's getting aced by those yeah. bombs that were coming at you guys. How do you then refocus and come back and set number two? You guys end up sweeping in three. You know, they came out bombing, and it was a tough um, night out there, set one. I think we all got aced at one point, but we knew, like, if we got some uh, serves up, sided out some tough balls, that they were going to be frustrated and maybe miss some towards the end of the set, which actually ended up happening. So, you know, we, we took care of the seams a little better in set two um, and set three and set four and kind of frustrated them a little bit. That's kind of aggravating because we had a good conversation. I must have when I flipped the phone around, I must have hit the button. Yeah, you know, I, I, but but Shoji makes a good point. And you make a good point. You know, for for people that that are the average fans of the game, where the rubber meets the road, is controlling the ball, serve and pass, and and successful teams in the world that spend time on that and and focus their efforts on trying to a annihilate that serve or pinpoint that serve on somebody, a seam, or put and take them out of system, and B, the teams that focus their efforts on trying to control that stuff are the ones that usually are the more successful ones at the end of the day, hitting your way out of trouble. I talked to Eric, too, about his relationship with his brother being on the team and, and how they've competed together, and he says, yeah, I think in, in the last match the night before, Kavika out-dug me. 
I think I'll hear about that. <laughs> Kavika came in and made some really nice defensive plays. Uh, too bad we lost the rest of that interview. God, that's, that's a bummer. Technical problems. I didn't realize that until just a bummer. now. Two kids that grew up on the combi court at uh, Outrigger, for sure. Yeah, funny. All right, so we still have uh, another piece here, so we'll get more Eric Shoji another time. John Spra. Ah. I think he's the head coach. You might know him. Yeah. He may be a big deal. He, he might be. Yeah. Before night number two, Bulgaria, John Sprott, head coach. John, uh, last night your team gets kind of handled in the first set, but maybe that's good right now. You know, I'd like to see us come out and play a little bit better in the first set. I, I, I was a little concerned and knew it going into this ma- that match. Uh, I decided to give a significant number of guys on the starting team some rest. So I not only, not only were we off on Sunday, and then traditionally I give some guys off Monday, but I gave a lot of guys off Tuesday as well with the hopes that, you know, we get a practice in on Wednesday and have a good practice on Thursday and, and be sharp again by Friday, and then we get to LAX and our flight was canceled. Didn't get in until 10 p.m. on Wednesday, missed practice. So Thursday's practice was not very good, as you would expect, after guys taking, at that point, then four days off. Uh, so I was a little concerned about how we'd come out. We weren't very sharp on Thursday, and, and we weren't very sharp early in that match. We did get better uh, throughout the course of the match, which is why we were able to win. We had a center change. Micah injured himself in practice earlier. Maybe part of the travel, the long day of travel, his back kind of goes out on Kavika comes in. How about some of the differences between the two guys in running the system? Well, they're both very good setters. They both, uh, they actually both play good all-around volleyball. That's one of the strengths of, of both of them. They both can serve for points. Um, you know, Kavika, what I like about Kavika on the team is that he's, even when he's back in the box, waiting to come in, he's got thoughts going on. He's communicating really well with Micah. I think they work really well together, which is nice. Uh, you still know, into the match. Still, he's still into the match. And, you know, he, I think with a lot of these young men that have, uh, have grown up with volleyball, you know, their dads are a coach. They really see the game well, and it's worth listening to what they have to say. And, uh, yeah, I think he just sees the game so well. He comes in, and he has a plan. And so I, I know and have a lot of trust that when he comes in, he's going to do good things for our team. Is it good to struggle a little bit for this group? Well, or any group really? You know, certainly think a little bit about it. You know, you don't want you don't want guys to get too cocky or, or feel like they've got everything dialed in. And I, that's been certainly something I've been talking about quite a bit thematically with the group. Um, but at the same time, I want to get every win we can possibly get right now in Worldly because we got to go on the road and go to Russia and to Serbia, and those are really tough places to win. And we'd like to do everything we can to make sure we get as far as we can to the World League Finals while we're in the United States. So, yeah, I mean, I thought a little bit last night after that first loss. We weren't very sharp. Guys were hurt. You know, is this a match we're going to win? And is that going to be good for us maybe in the long run? But at the same time, I was real happy to get three points out of it. You mentioned having to manage this whole situation and what happened with your travel. How difficult is this tournament to manage your players as far as their fatigue level versus your desire to train versus what comes later in the year? And, and blend all that into some sort of schedule that works week in, week out when everything's always changing. Yeah, it's really challenging. I'm, and maybe the national team job in general is challenging. Yeah. Like that. I mean, they all come back. They're all banged up after playing hard eight months. And then weeks later, in this case, what, a, a week later for some of these guys, they had a major tournament. Kavika didn't even, he didn't even come home. He just stayed in Europe in medicine, Bulgaria for that first weekend of World League. Oh, so, really? Yeah, so... So you have these situations where you got to manage rest versus trying to get everybody on the same page. Obviously, as a coach, you want to train, but really it's about peak performance and trying to strike a balance. And, and that balance is different for different players. How we manage a guy like Taylor Sander versus a guy like David Lee is very different. And we have to have individual conversations, not only with the player, but Aaron Brock, our trainer, Tim, our swing conditioning coach, and 
making sure everybody's on the same page and understand what everyone's goal is and making sure we can get everybody on the same page. Do you communicate that to the players that everyone is on kind of a separate path to arrive at the same place in practice or in a match ready and primed ready to go, but everybody needs something different so you don't get into, well, that guy's not doing something that I have to do kind of thing? A hundred percent, and maybe I need to communicate it more, but... I don't know. I've always heard stories of the years over guys being bitter about one thing or the other. Listen, I think guys know. I'm, I'm interested in one thing, winning. And I, I want this team to be as best as it possibly can be. And, and when we come into a serve and a pass and a guy had a lot of minutes the night before, he's not going to serve and pass that day. He's just going to loosen up and stretch out. Um, other guys didn't get much work. They're out there getting some swings. I think everybody has a pretty good idea that everyone needs something a little different. And uh, But you're right. It, it always There's so many themes that need to be continuously hammered when you coach this team. That could be one of them. Another one is, is team. You know, you got a, got a lot of different personalities, a lot of different ages now on this team. Guys are in different places in life. you got to really talk about team. And as we get better, we're going to have to talk about egos. You know, I mean, some of these guys are going to start accumulating some really nice accolades, as they deserve. Obviously, Matt Anderson has become one of the best players in the world, and he's starting to get recognition for that on a, on a broader scale. We have some young guys that may get to that place at a relatively quick stage. I mean, obviously, Taylor Sanders having a great world league. I mean, what kind of accolades is he going to get? How do we blend the attention that some players get maybe more than others and still maintain our team identity? I mean, these are all things that we'll have to continue to discuss. The young women in the volleyball community, I noticed last week, noticed Matt Anderson. It is. Their response to Matt Anderson is incredible. I, it reminds me of watching old videos of the, of the Beatles and the Ed Sullivan show. When all the girls, he has better hair, though. Yeah, well, clearly. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think the girls are just – he literally turned around to a group of young girls to sign autographs in Chicago, and they all started screaming and crying. I, I've never seen anything quite like it. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring up the subject of hair. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I'm not sensitive about it. I gave it up, I gave up that argument a long time ago. Hey, when you, you and the staff, in your discussions after last night, that 3-1 comeback victory – what are you expecting from Bulgaria tonight? Well, I think Sokolov's going to play. So that'll make them a lot better no matter what. We just have to keep doing a couple of things that we did late in that last match. We've got to keep serving tough. You know, I think we got a little bit better serving. The first set, we had like 30% errors, and they didn't miss one. Or maybe they missed one late. But I, we, we're going to have to continue to serve tough because this is a team that you, you can get out of system. And we're going to have to play what has become uh, something we've done really well throughout World League. Is play good defense behind it. Eric, Eric shows he's having a nice World League. We're doing a nice job of putting a uh, three-man block up. That's very fundamental. We've done a good job of turning points out of that, that circumstance. So that, that's something we're going to have to continue to do against this team because obviously they're, they're skilled hitters. And they haven't had a very good World League, and they're going to have a huge crowd tonight. At some point, this team is very capable of winning. This is a good team. People forget that now that they've been in this slump. But... You know, I think we still respect them, and we're going to have to make sure we do that if we want to win. Do you take an empty gym, or do you like that all the Bulgarian fans are here and there's some atmosphere in the gym? Uh, the atmosphere is good, but, I mean, it would sure be nice if there was a little bit of an equal auditory battle. You know, sometimes when you have they a... They fought it out a little bit last night. I know. It really motivates the United States crowd when there is a, a big foreign contingent. And uh, But tonight, Saturday night, I hear that this place is getting pretty close to being sold out. I mean, I... I would imagine that's going to, the Americans are going to have to really step up to compete tonight. There you go, John Spraw. Yep. A couple things they got to me. What about you? Yeah, uh, one thing, DJ Ray in the background, <laughs> flowing the tunes. We talked about it the week before and said, why don't, why don't we have any DJ Ray? We had an interview with him we aired last week. And you know what happened? What the happened? net live effect of change. Oh, DJ yeah. Ray on the scene Friday, Saturday night. Very nice. Available for your weddings. Contact oh. DJ Ray. And bat mitzvahs. Ba- bat mitzvahs? <laughs> bat mitzvahs or bar mitzvahs? Either. Either Whichever. Or. 
So DJ Ray music in the background. I'll tell you what sticks out to me. Uh, there's, there's a few things that I thought were, were pretty t- critical. He talked about uh, managing individuals uh, and allowing each one to do what they have to do in order to be at their best performance peak. Yes. And, you know, the, the, the statement I think that a lot of coaches will understand is I'm going to treat everybody fair, but I'm not going to treat everybody equal. Mm-hmm. And I think, it, I think that gets lost, especially at, at, in some places where, you know, they, they, they want to control every single aspect of every single player on the team. And it becomes too much of a micromanaging uh, situation. John and, and a lot of coaches that I've been fortunate to work with over the years allow different players to do different things to get into their zone, so to speak. I remember being in the gym uh, back when we were training for 08, and the warm-up that would happen before, <laughs> before practice took about 45 minutes total. And there were guys that were playing short court. There were guys that were jogging at a slower pace than a snail. There were guys that were holding the same stretch for 40 minutes. Uh, there were guys that were just chatting, having coffee and on the sidelines, just kind of doing their thing. Right. The, the beauty of that whole situation is you look at it and you go, well, where is the continuity? Where is the team aspect? Where is the atmosphere that everybody's on the same page trying to achieve, achieve the same thing? And I think that's a testament to John is, hey, not everybody is the same. And not everybody right. has to do you know, uh, dynamic warm-up stretching. And not everybody has to do you know, static stretching for certain things. There, there are guys that need different things. And I think that allows the players to feel that they are part of the group, yet different enough that they can do what they need in order to be successful. I think that's a, that's a good statement right there. It takes a pretty courageous coach to let those things happen. Yeah, I'd agree. Some people don't need a long warm-up. Some people do. And let that happen but you heard at the end everyone's got to arrive at the same spot they have to be ready players can't always manage that sure so the coach has to pay attention to who is able and who is not i will agree also funny that kavika come comes straight to bulgaria for the first set of matches it's kind of gives you a little window i remember world league one year i came home i was home for seven days and went right back to europe with the national team why didn't you just stay out there Uh, good question i don't know yeah. Uh, another thing that stuck out to me, you know, you, you asked him about struggle. Is it good for this team? Yeah. And and I, you know, I, there are very few instances, and I, I know we can all name a team here and there that have done it where they've gone undefeated in a season. But it's so rare and so magical and special when that happens that you just kind of go, ah, you know, the stars were aligned and, you know, ponies and rainbows. How much do you learn from those struggles is what really separates, I think, the good teams from the bad teams. Mm-hmm. And if you have, you know, if you win every match but you don't play very well and you're not, you're not getting better yourself, you know, you heard John say, I would have liked to have still played a little better in that first game. There, there's something to learn there. You know, and as individuals, as professional athletes, did they prepare themselves correctly? Were they able to deal with the challenge and struggle of the flight being canceled? That's the management issue. And next time they're faced with that, maybe they make a change. Maybe they, uh, you know, they say, hey, we did this before, and, and here's what we didn't do well. Let's adjust and see if we can make it better for next time. That's, I think, where, what separates the great teams from the good teams is their ability to manage those challenges. Success breeds success. But on the other hand, you need to go through some challenges. You have to go through some tough situations if you're really going to be ready at the end. And if you don't go through those, and you need to have success as well, if you don't go through those, I don't think you're steeled the way you need to be when it comes to crunch time in the finals when somebody you know a good team is going to get there and put some pressure on you. Finals of whatever tournament at whatever level. Teams don't make it to the finals on a fluke usually. Yeah, yeah. When you go to the finals, you're facing another good team, and you have to know how to deal with the ups and downs. 
there were some serious ups and downs for the men's team in that match on Saturday night that went 3-2 in favor of Bulgaria. 22 aces in the match. Serve and pass. That's what we talked Ridiculous. about before. Serve and pass. At one point, there were 22 aces and 20 blocks. No, 20, bl- 20, sorry, 20 aces, 20 blocks. It was nearly, at the time, just shy of a quarter of the total points scored in the match. Wow. Wow. So That's huge. I'm looking to see if I had it here on my sheet or if it was on another piece of paper. Uh, might be on another sheet. But I, I had added up the points, and at that point, it was two or three points shy of the total number of points scored of being a quarter wow. of the points in the match were aces and blocks, if, which are the most emotionally destructive and also build up or building up factories for... Uh, that's a terrible way to put it, by the way. <laughs> emotionally destructive and emotionally... Let's see, emotionally damaging and emotionally positive moments for well, volleyball as a momentum sport. I'll tell you what, uh, I'll relay it to my own experience. The last cycle for the junior national team, we, we, the, the North Seikas I didn't really put much weight on. At the World Championships last year in Turkey, we faced servers. You know, I, I, we talk about this all the time, serve and pass, serve and pass. We faced servers. That was their job, was to take us out of system. And there were big bombing jump servers, and there were float servers that put some stink on the ball that our, our passers really struggle with. And I, and I, thought, I thought we missed an opportunity uh, because we didn't bring anybody who brought that kind of heat. And this next cycle that I'm a part of, that's going to be one of the things that we look at is, hey, maybe this guy isn't the best outside hitter, or maybe he's not the best middle blocker or the best opposite, but he has a jump serve that is wicked. And we need that at that level, and maybe that's his only job is a sub, a serve sub. But we need somebody who's going to take somebody out of system more often than not, or more often than we already are. Mm-hmm. And and that's something that I think a lot of people miss the boat on is that, hey, don't underestimate those service reps you take in practice or those passing reps you take in practice. Good coaches and great teams spend a large amount of time doing that every day, and and that's a skill that is. Um, you know, highly sought after by a lot of coaches. No doubt. Good stuff from John Sprague. Good luck to the U.S. men as they embark on their journey to Russia, to Serbia, to finish up the World League. We'll see if they're in the finals. The pools, despite being 7-1, and one, the way the pool's laid out, we'll have to see. They need Bulgaria to play well in the next two weeks. Bulgaria goes to Serbia and then, I believe, hosts Russia. That's, that's a, that, I tell you what, I like their chances. We're, we're doing good things in the gym. Let's see if we can continue it. Definitely good things in the gym. Yep. Uh, before we go, Jay, uh, we, you and I were having a conversation earlier about ADs and coaches. Yes. And I was equating it to kind of executive producers and talent or d- directors of talent and talent. Okay. You never know when you get a new AD or you get a new executive producer, you never quite know what's going to happen to the status quo for any individual. Is that person going to receive more opportunity, receive more funding, receive more air dates than, the, than previously, or are they going to get less? Or are they going to be the same? You never quite know. It's a very interesting situation anytime the leadership changes. What are some of the things that people deal with, you think, with, with relations as far as ADs and their priorities? You know, I, I, I won't delve very much into my situation. Obviously, we have a new athletic director search going on for Penn State, but on the whole, in places that I've been a part of that have had athletic director changes, you know, I, I, think, I think it's 
uh, I think it's a challenge for any status quo to look at the situation, say everything's going to be the same because this is just how it's been done. Every new employee that comes in to any new situation wants to make a difference, whether it's by adding new sports, by adding new boosters and donors, by adding new revenue streams, uh, you know, adding facilities. That's an athletic director's legacy. And how many directors' cups do they win? Or how close do they come? I, I would hope and pray that athletic directors' first and foremost job is to reassure every coach that, that's there already, hey, as long as you're doing the right things by our mission statement as a university, your job is safe. At that point now, it becomes more of, hey, are, are these coaches successful, but are they doing it the right way? You mm-hmm. know, compliance is always an issue. The next challenge is, 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 you know, these coaches that are part of these programs, some of their ADs in the past or these new ADs now have champagne taste, but they've got a beer budget. You know, if you're, if you're Podunk University and you're trying to fight with the Penn State, the Ohio First State. First of all, it sucks that your name is Podunk <laughs> University. Yeah, or Our Lady Mother Tuesday, which is your favorite uh, university out well, there. Well, they're in the Eva, yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) Do we have to go there? So anyways, so these new ADs, they come in and they want championships. Well, hey, man, if you're you're not realistic about what you are, chances are you're probably going to ruffle some feathers in the wrong direction. And and I'd like... I'd like, it to, I'd like there to be some serious SWOT analysis as they go on, you know, the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities, and the threats, and to be able to put together a, a business model and a plan that allows your coaches to be successful, but to the level that you set, not to the level that's unattainable. And I think that's, I think that's where the, the balance is, is how do, we, how do we be more successful? How do we give you more resources without putting such expectations on you that you get fired and six months because you're not winning. Yeah, a delicate thing. And on my side of things, when you get a new executive producer, you never know what their priorities are with different products, who they have previous relationships with for different products. and Previous relationships, huge. What they want to do with current talent, how they want to advance people, how they want to move people, or maybe they don't like to move people. They like to simply plug and play. It's always, it's interesting. It's As we've talked about in volleyball, do you go to a program where they're primarily recruiting and putting puzzle pieces in? Or do you go to a program where they're teaching, where you personally are going to get better and your role within the team is going to change from year to year? That prior relationship statement, I think, is really uh, critical because there's how many times we know head coaches bring on assistants from places they've worked at before. And coaches that are already at that university kind of get left out in the, in the wind, so to speak, and, and there's nowhere for them to go because maybe they haven't made the connections. And that's a challenge. ADs are the same way. They hire coaches with whom they're comfortable with. Right. right. I, I, and someday in the future, I, I may not be where I'm at. I, I sure hope that I know some ADs in the right places or maybe some up-and-coming coaches that will remember me from years past. They'll say, hey, I, I know what this guy can do. That's a challenge. Did, you hear, did we hear it first here on the Net Live that Pavlik's getting rid of Hossack? He is, Pavlik is not getting rid of Hossack, although I'm sure there are times that he would like to. No, I, I think it's a natural progression. I, I, you know, I, I came into this job knowing that it was going to be a great place for me to learn how to run a program. Pav is hands down one of the best administrators and head coaches of a program. He knows how to run a program top to bottom. 
And he knew that I was coming in. And the first statement out of his mouth when he met me on my interview weekend was, welcome to Happy Valley. If you are thinking that you're going to take my job when I'm done, you're going to be here for a long time. And, and he knew and I knew that this was not going to be a long-term 20-year permanent commitment. There was going to become a moment where I've got to step out on my own. But that reality hasn't happened yet. And until that reality does, I love where I'm at, right? So there's that, there's that balance. And PAV is wonderful at allowing me the ability to say, hey, I, I know someday it's going to happen, but until that time, he's going to work his butt off for us and for this university. And so that's, that's, the, that's where we're at now. And so I'm not, I'm not actively pursuing. I'm not looking. I haven't been contacted recently. It's just what, one of You want to give out your number? No, I do okay. not want to give out my okay. number. And uh, if my, I if I get hired right now by Pav, can I wait less time to take over? <laughs> maybe because I've been there what six years now. So maybe there's so if six I come years. on now, maybe in two years I can. Have <laughs> no, no, you uh, uh, you will have to fight me tooth and nail for that job. I love that job, and I love who I work with and who I work for. But it's uh, it's just it's those natural progression of things. You know, coaches are coaches, and eventually they're going to want to move on. And good. And great head coaches understand that and know that of their assistants. Um, and so it's just one of those things that, you know, you, you kind of you take the good with the bad and you move on. Yeah, we expect the coaches to move. One of the interesting things is the players also move. And I was just looking here, surfing the, the net, and Kevin Ware transferred. Louisville basketball player who broke his leg two years ago. Yeah. Transferred the, to Georgia State. The one... Georgia State? Georgia State. That could, isn't that a small little program in the, in the middle of... Uh, I don't know. He's eligible, it says, right away. The guy who the video showed the compound break, that yeah. guy. And Ryan Harrow and R.J. Hunter from Kentucky will transfer as well to make one of the best mid-major backcourts in the country. Okay, so are these moves because the athletes are ultimately not happy? Are they moves because the coaches left and they want uh, you know, to follow that coach? Patino is still there, right? Patino is still at Louisville. Is where not? Happy? I guess. Game playing time? I guess. But it, you see it in women's volleyball all the time. There are lots of transfers, a very hot transfer market. Is that a statement of today's... Georgia State's in Atlanta, by the way. It is. Is that a statement of today's youth where uh, the entitlement of I should be the best person in the gym everywhere I go, and if I'm not, then I need to go find a green, greener pastures? Is there more now than before? That's a that's a good stat question right there. If anybody knows, yeah, that, for the women's women's side of the game, we got to ask some top coaches if that's the case. If there are more than before, I would venture and say that there are, because there's more opportunity than before. Hmm. If you were the 15th person on UCLA's team years ago, you couldn't necessarily go to another school and expect to be in the tournament and get national recognition and be on TV and get whatever else. That just didn't happen. Today, with the Big Ten Network with the Pac-12 network, with the Longhorn network, with all the internet streaming that's going on, you can have a high profile at a smaller school. And I see the benefit sometimes to be in the star, be in the person. There's always, this is always going to be a great thing. Some kids will do it, and they don't deserve it no matter where they go. They just have it in their mind that they should be the star even though they're not. Other kids, you get them into an environment where they need to be relied upon, and all of a sudden you're going to see their level rise where it wouldn't have if you're sitting on the bench at another program. Better to play than not play, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think yeah. for a lot of kids that's true. Most kids, I would say, better to play than not play. Yeah. If you are absolutely not going to touch the court at Oregon, take yourself to Oregon State. Go oh, and play. That's a slam, but that's true. No, I mean, in, in any sport. It yeah. doesn't matter. I'm not yeah. specifying sports. I'm saying you need to get out and, and play. Right. 
if you're happy being a backup and you're getting what you want out of the school and so on and so forth, fine. That's provided that you actually get the chance to play. And usually you're not moving up in caliber of program. You're moving down or laterally. Or, yeah, exactly. I don't think you're moving up in caliber of program. You're not going change. from, and, and no slam, please. Unless you're going Loyola Marymount to Oregon. You're not, yeah. You're not, you're not going Cal State Dominguez Hills back up to UCLA starting setter. No, that's not happening. No. But you could be back up UCLA setter going to Cal State Dominguez Hills and being a D2 All-American. Correct. Yeah. And maybe that's better for you long term. But wait a minute here. What about the starting setter for UCLA when they won it a couple of years ago? Wasn't that girl part of San Diego State? Pepperdine. Pepperdine. Oh, is that a step up? Obviously, they won. Not saying that. Pepperdine was in the tournament, I think, this year. Was Pepperdine? That girl was good. She had good hands. Yeah, maybe, but maybe both didn't make the tournament this year. You know, UCLA wasn't in for the first time in yeah, they struggled. forever. They struggled a little bit, for sure. First but, time in the history of the but tournament. But there's, there's an example right there. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of that going on. Huh. And then, if you do well at a D2 school or a lesser program and raise your profile and maybe you have a little more talent. <laughs> you bounce again. And maybe you play overseas <laughs> for a year, you play somewhere else, and you come back to the United States, you still want to play. There didn't used to be an avenue. But now there is an avenue. Called the NAIA? No, called the PBL. Oh, that's right. If you're already done with your college eligibility. Oh, man, that's a nice segue right there. Yeah, uh, yeah there is the PBL. And, and, you know, you've talked about it a couple of weeks ago before the thing happened, or right after it we happened. We had Steve Bishop on. Steve Bishop, right, and working with Rocks. You know, Rocks is a company that is really starting to take uh, some notice of people because they're starting to get their name out on different levels. and um, They need to sponsor this show. Ooh, that, that would be a great phone call. I bet they would love to. Uh, the PBL, where, where, you know, where does it go from here, and, and, it, and, and what is the next thing to look forward to? And you know, Steve Bishop has got his hands in a lot of things, and that's, that's one of those anomalies that could possibly take off. And you've got all these beach circuit things starting up, and you've got indoor stuff coming together. You've got training for people that are coming in from overseas. I, I tell you what, the Premier Volleyball League is doing some nice things, and I really hope that USA continues that relationship because that's, that's the, a, a future, not the future, but a future of where men's and women's professional volleyball can go for sure. No, I think it's a, a great effort. We had Steve on here a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Go back and listen to that program and get more information about the PVL, especially if you're interested in playing. You yeah. Want to continue your career. Call your region. On a semi-professional level, yeah. Talk call, to your you, call your region director. See what they have to offer. There are more regions now that are sponsoring men's and women's teams than ever before. And, uh, you know, your regional director, if, you're, if your region is not sponsoring a team, you can call another region. You don't have to just say, well, you know, I'm in the middle of Nebraska. Do we have a men's team? And they say, no, we don't have one, and then you're screwed. You can call up. Chicago, you can call up LA, you can call Keystone, you can call Florida and say, hey, my region doesn't have a team, can I join yours? And the answer is yes. When your region doesn't sponsor, you can call somebody else. Good point by Coach Hula here. Sydney Anderson, <laughs> leaving Utah after her freshman year, where they were top 10 undefeated for most of the season and went to Nebraska. Huh. You can move up. That's it. Oh, Elena Bergsma, Loyola Marymount to Oregon. Yes. Lateral move at the time. Maybe, maybe. At the but time. Oregon then goes on with her to be national runner-up. Yep. Maybe a lateral move at the time, but the addition of Bergsman to what they had there at Oregon certainly made the difference. Who was the setter for Oregon in that Final Four run? Lauren Plum. She was good. Yeah, she's in the national team gym now. Yeah, she is a good setter. Uh, during the show here, I have an opportunity to surf with hula. Yes, uh, you're hula anyway. <laughs> Especially when you say things I don't like. <laughs> Coach Hula. 
Coach, coach Hula. <laughs> when you say things I don't like, you're a Hula. You could be Hula sometimes. I'll write that down. So, nice. Coach. Coach. <laughs> I, did, I did sneak a Sergeant Hoka into the broadcast this past week. Ooh. I know I'm not. The big toe. <laughs> Our big toe. Yes. Also, fun interaction. We mentioned having a word of the week or word of the day. Translucent, if you can catch it. I don't know if it made the broadcast, but oh, translucent. I didn't know what the word was. On the Friday night broadcast, Dang. I had translucent. Also, someone tried. Well, no, someone asked, and I did get Smoothie King into the broadcast. Oh, that's wonderful. Hopefully it was anti and not pro. Yes, anti. There you go. Of course. Yeah, we're not giving any positive publicity to Smoothie King. We're not so, looking for them as a sponsor. So in so many shanks when you go, man, his arms are slipperier than a, than a sugar-filled Smoothie King? So I think actually the way I snuck it in there was I said, this match is going to be a dogfight. You better hope that you had a good breakfast. You had a nice protein shake, maybe had a protein bar. You didn't take yourself for a sugar-filled mess at Smoothie King. That is well done. Right Something there. like that. So yeah, that is well done. One one last thing before we that was we Twitter go. interaction. I know it. Thank you, Twitter, for being on top of that. One last thing. You know, I was at the uh, J, uh, weekend recruiting out here, and I was talking with uh, Coach David Niffen and Bill Ferguson. And one of the things that Niffen talked about was, you know, there's a lot of great backstories for a lot of these college coaches out there. And I know the women's teams all have great stories as well, but I'm going to focus today on men's. Some things that people don't know about these certain coaches and their path getting to where they're at. Bill Ferguson, the head coach at USC, was a sponsored pro surfer back in the day when he was a gym rat. And uh, there's some pictures floating around on the web, I'm sure, of him. But he was a, he was a hot ripper back in the day. And, you know, one thing led to another. And next thing you know, he's in the gym coaching volleyball. Uh, but he had a real shot at being the next Kelly Slater. The next big thing in surfing. And, you know, he took a roundabout travel to get to where he is now. But, uh, you know, it's neat to hear some of these stories of where these coaches came from. And I'm sure Bill would give that information out freely. It's not something he's afraid to talk about. But it's neat to hear We've some of these We've posted pictures before. Yeah. Of, of his surfing career as a surfboard in his office. He's got a surfboard in his office. He absolutely does. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping someday I can go out surfing with him when I'm back home. But... You know, uh, it, it's neat to hear where some of these coaches were and what they did before they became what they became. I took the kids to the water park this past week, went up to Six Flags, north yep. of here, yep. took them to Hurricane Harbor. Nice. They have a new thing called the Bonsai Pipeline. It's actually a redo of something they had before. Okay. This thing, it's one of these straight down slides. Then you slide out, you know, it's like 50 feet straight down. My my older son doesn't care for it. My younger son, he, he's a thrill seeker. He'll do it. We've done it before out at Knott's, Knott's uh, Soak City out in Palm Desert. Okay. So we go up to this thing, and they say the line takes forever because there's only these two little coffins, basically. They put you in these two little pods. So you stand in the pod. It says, welcome to the Bonsai Pipeline. Launch in three, two, one. Launch. And the floor disappears. Oh. It just drops you. Oh. The reason why it takes so long is because we're up there, and we're waiting, 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 waiting. There's five people ahead of us. All five of them go over to the pod, get in, and get out. They check out. They chicken out. No kidding. Oh. My younger son gets in. No problem. I'm like, you'll go, right? Yeah. So good ride. Good ride up there. But along those lines, while we were doing the show here, I was surfing a bit, and I found Schlitterbahn, which, yes. by the way, is German for Slippery Road. Yes. 
They have a Kansas City, Missouri location now. 300 acres or something crazy. Yep. Some huge place. They have a new water slide. It's called the Verrucht. Yes. Verrucht. 169 feet down. Yes. <gasps> Sign <laughs> me up. I am in. You go 169 feet down. You slow down, and then water jets shoot you up and over another 50-foot-high hill. Yep. Which wow. you could launch from, by the way, if you are heavy enough. Guinness record for water slides. The Schlitterbahn. Height. Schlitterbahn. So Kansas City, Missouri, we will be there at some point. <laughs> I, will, I will be there. I will challenge your 169-foot Guinness world record water slide straight down drop. With, it is a scary-looking thing. With bells on. It's I already say. built. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, it's not like a, a structural drawing. Nope, it's up and running. It's built. It opens in a month, I guess, yep. sometime in the next month. Yep. So there you go. There's your recommendation. Get out to the water park with the kids and uh, do some straight-down water slides. Nice. Love the water park. I've loved it since Whitewater in Atlanta when I was a kid going oh, with my dad. What raging waters out there in uh, San Dimas? Uh, I only knew that because of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And what about the one in uh, Irvine there by the old... Uh, Gone. 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 Whew. Land, was, land repossessed. That was an institute when I was younger. Yeah, land repossessed. Wow. Not cool. That's a bummer. No, the one, I don't know, the one out in San Dimas. Never been there. Raging Waters? Raging Waters. I think it's still there. I think it's still there. I hope it's still there. Probably packed. Oh, it's, it's it wasn't too crowded at Hurricane Harvey. It wasn't too bad. I've got to imagine with 29 people, 29 million people, sorry, uh, in L.A. that that thing has got a ton of people in it. So. Oh, yeah. Mm. I want to thank Albert Hanneman for coming on the show, owner of the NVL. Be sure and check out his product. You can go to, just look up NVL, NVL Volleyball, National Volleyball League there in Google, and it will take you right to his site. Uh, thanks to Russ Rose, Anton Villert, John Spraun, Eric Shoji. Eric, we did a great interview. I don't know what the heck happened with the technology. Anton Villert. Villert. Congratulations to John Hyden and Triborn. Way to go, boys. Nice job. Hey, way to go. If you want, see if you can check out NBCSN, the replay of USA versus Bulgaria. It was live on Friday night. That was the first time what? ever. First time ever it was live on That's NBCSN. Huge. Hopefully next year it will happen. A much better product. Thanks to Jay for being here, saving the show. Jeremy, get well. Feel better. <laughs> Jay, thanks, Jay. Jeremy, hurry up and get better, please. <laughs> Feel better. <laughs> it's always my pleasure being here. I love being in the studio. Thanks to you, the listener. And, of course, thanks to 6-8 Clothing Company for being our sponsor. TNL 10 gets you 10% off. Go to 6-8ClothingCompany.com. Check out their tall and athletically cut clothes. And thanks to my smoking hot trophy wife for cooking wonderful meals for you every day. Right on. Yes. It's a good way to end the show. Absolutely. Jay and Kevin checking out. Here's a little more Kelly James for you. We'll see you again. I wants a girl from the runway, no hips, sad lips, cigarettes and coffee all day, and she's from L.A., but like an x-ray, I can see through a game, do I want it? No way, but now you say, what if she pays every time fine wine pours crude rosé, when money goes away and looks dissipate, I need a girl like you, not a JCPenney display, and I don't mean to hate, if I could go and make the perfect girl, you'd be the one that I would create.
Like two teenagers carve our names in a tree Buy a little boost despite the Arizona tea Write you a love poem about my heart and key Making love in the summertime wild and free I love it when it's simple, I think you'd agree Driving up the coast, State Street and SD We don't call them fights, we just say we disagree Now I'm quoting family, gotta get you laughing at me Believe, there's no one else that I would rather see Sleeping next 